Hey folks, it's Cody Stoffer with Playmakers Corner, here to tell you about Code Red Coaching. Competing in athletics means you've lifted the weights, you've watched film, and you've got the passion. Problem is, that's what everyone else in the state has done. Perfect your game by honing in on your mental performance with Code Red Coaching. Whether you are a team or an individual, Code Red Coaching has the tools to create mentally solid habits and set up you or your team for success. Find Code Red Coaching at coderedcoaching.com or call 720-979-1914 to learn more today. That's coderedcoaching.com or 720-979-1914 today. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast, y'all. I am your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer, but you will be hearing from Coach V as well as Gideon per usual as we do our Thursday, Friday, Saturday recaps. This one's a little bit special because we were able to attend the inaugural Girls Flag Football State Championship Tournament. So, you know, we have a little bit of a shakeup there. So stay tuned for the history that took place and how exciting that was. But other than that, you know, boys tackle football Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then our playmakers of the week and power rankings. So let's go ahead and jump into it. So let's go ahead and talk Thursday action here. George Washington getting a 35 to 7 win over Niwai here, partially courtesy due to some younger guys stepping in here. Sophomore Markevious Lee going for 135 yards on the ground and sophomore David Yahi. Yahi or Yai, I want to say, uh, going for another 105 yards on the ground as well. And then through the air, Honeycutt and Silas Evans doing their thing, combining for 75 yards and two scores as well in another league victory. Moving on, we have some Highlands Ranch action going on here. Mountain Vista beats Castleview 38 to 21 after a Playmaker of the Week performance last week. Modrzewski here goes 29 of 46, three touchdowns, and posts a 100.6 QBR. And not to be forgotten, tailback Jack Blyce also goes for 95 yards here. Uh, shout out to Pre Jennings, who almost notched 100 yards in this game, but actually led the team in receiving N yards with nine receptions and 97 yards, continuing to put on a stellar newcomer of the year performance for this squad. <clears throat> continuing denver south after getting a forfeit win last week against gateway they face vista peak prep a game that they actually lost last year believe it or not and they avenged that loss this time going 45 to 14 joseph capra continuing his most valuable playmaker-esque season throwing five touchdowns to no interceptions and running for another score before junior felipe got in to try some passes out himself Continuing, Devlin versus Wellington. This matchup kind of had really big playoff implications for 2A football, and Devlin did what they needed to do here, beating Wellington at home 34-12. Austin Bushlag continuing a solid season, throwing for over 200 yards here. But, you know, this uh, Wellington team just really, literally didn't complete a pass and threw four interceptions. So that is not going to help you out anytime soon. They are going to have to straighten it out against other league opponents to have a chance here. In some 4A action here, Thornton and Centaurus faced off. And Centaurus actually gets a win here, 42-32, putting them at 4-4 four four on the season. 
a lot of this win can definitely be attributed to a playmaker of the week type of performance from junior tailback Benjamin Mishke here, who ran for 270 yards and three scores. Speaking of, you know, riding a wave here and getting some win streak going, Harrison actually rattles off their fifth win in a row after starting off the season 0-2 against Widefield and TCA. They have bounced back with wins over Pueblo County, Mitchell, Canyon City, Lewis Palmer, Pueblo Centennial, and now they have Pueblo South. And then I think that the game against Pueblo Central here in a couple of weeks will probably be the league determinant for this 3A League One. And so speaking of Pueblo Central, they actually got another win here, continuing a little win streak of their own of four games, I want to say. Granted, they both have the 5-2 and two record, but Pueblo Central here with a win over Sierra, 65-14. to 14. You guys already know who their playmakers are here. Amari Brown going for 110 yards, but five different players rushing for five touchdowns. And then also their senior or sophomore quarterback, Gennaro Pino, having a very solid game going four of six for three scores here. So, you know, they're still finding ways to get it done in a variety of ways, and they're getting all hands on deck. In some 3A action, Kennedy did face Fort Morgan here and lost 32-40. to Very high-scoring game. Very notable performance from David Keller for Fort Morgan here. 225 yards and three touchdowns. Not to mention the fact that on the defensive side of the ball, they did have Colin Duckworth take a step up here. Nine tackles. Then also Weedrick and Vasquez recording a tackle for loss apiece here. In 5A action, kind of just bouncing around according to our scoreboard here. We had Chaparral and Regis Jesuit. Regis wins this one 56-28 to remain undefeated in league play. But it should be noted here that Tevin Stokes, as a freshman here at Chaparral, goes 20-40 of 40 for 227 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. And, you know, he's breaking in to, and he also lost a fumble, but, you know, for a freshman, I think that getting him these snaps is going to be very good. And I think that the future is bright for Chaparral under center based off of what we've seen from Tevin these past few weeks. Meade versus Denver North. Meade gets back in the win column for their second win of the year, 45-0 to over Denver North. Columbine with a bounce back win. Poor Arvada West just had to face a really PO'd Columbine team that actually was throwing the ball pretty well. Braden Harvey, 5 of 7, 83 yards and three touchdowns, no picks. Then you also had junior Reeve Holiday, who went 4 of 4 for 94 yards, a touchdown and no interceptions. So very clean through the air. Obviously, that comes from a great play action game set up by the 358 and 12.8 yards per carry ground game that the Rebels were rolling with in this win over Arvada West. Speaking of getting back into the win column, Erie does exactly that. Blake Barnett with maybe his best game of the year going 11 of 20 for 250 yards and three scores and also tagging on a rushing score. And, you know, these three touchdowns are a little spread out. Gavin Lusk, a sophomore, gets one 56-yard reception for the score. And Ronan Ward, who's also a sophomore, gets a 79-yard reception as well. On the defensive side of the ball, you have some familiar names making plays here. But you also have some younger guys make plays here. Uh, junior Dylan Coick with a tackle for loss. You have Keaton Strange with a tackle for loss. And Joey Watts, who is a senior, with a tackle for loss in this game. In 1A action, North Fork here absolutely just waxes Olath here or Olath. 
Uh, Hayden Moreno going 5-5 five five for two touchdowns and 115 yards through the air. Not to mention another 155 yards on the ground. It's definitely a playmaker of the week level performance and one that will be considered. And in some other action on the 5A level, Arapo continues to be undefeated in the Centennial League, as a matter of fact, following their upset win over Grandview last week and this win against Cherokee Trail. They head into Creek at 5-3 and 3-0 and and in league play. These last two games will be probably the most challenging, but we will see Arapo has got to be feeling themselves at this point and hugely fueled by a very solid defense, a very potent defense, one that had eight hurries in this game against Cherokee Trail and, you know, did record a sack eventually, but also had tons of 11 pass deflections to be exact. And then Sam Bylas here, or Ballas, had an interception as well. So, you know, this team, this Warriors team is actually rolling and will probably get into the playoffs here at this point. Looking through some other scores that I didn't look at more in depth here, Fruita Monument beats Aurora Central 41-14. Golden, actually, this is a big one, beats Dakota Ridge 49-41. What an absurd game here. What a high-scoring game here that, you know, was 28-34 with uh, Dakota Ridge taking a kickoff return to the house and giving them a lead just a minute into the fourth quarter here. But that was before Dakota Ridge here goes for you know a touchdown and for two and they pull into you know the same distance here 35 all and then Dakota Ridge here scoring two touchdowns within just a few minutes of each other and by the time Dakota Ridge scores with about a minute left it is too little too late and they lose this game 49 to 41 what a crazy back and forth game I mean checking in at the third quarter it was 21 to 14 and Noah Triplett eventually scored in the third quarter with around eight minutes to go to make it 21 to 21. So they were just in a track meet this entire time, and Golden had the stronger anchor finish here. Giselle Riley having an incredible performance, going 16 of 26 for 312 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks. Blake Palladino having a pretty solid game, going 5 and 9 for 133 yards and two touchdowns. No recorded interceptions here, but I also do notice that Jack Stewart came into the game and completed a pass here. Uh, probably was a trick play if I had to guess, but uh, you know, would like to hear back some confirmation on if Blake is feeling okay. No triplet, almost going for 200 yards, going for 196 yards and three touchdowns as he has turned up in league play drastically. Alex Arnold here for Dakota Ridge, putting on a clinic, two receptions for 116 yards and a score, but that was not enough to outdo this golden receiving core that had those three receiving touchdowns. And then also on the ground, you know, Giselle Riley goes for 104 yards and two scores, and Luke Chevalier here for 106 yards and a touchdown. So very balanced attack from both teams here, but, you know, golden a little bit more balanced since they ran 37 times pass 26 versus the 10 pass attempts to Dakota Ridge's 40 rushing attempts here. But Dakota Ridge, like I said, they score those two touchdowns consecutively and that puts this game away. And Golden in a really good spot here to make the postseason on this little win streak of theirs. They are now five and three and they have beaten Bear Creek, Stanley Lake, Dakota Ridge. They have Adam City up next and then Grand Junction. Honestly, they could go undefeated in league and going seven and three might be able to earn them a bye. 
and it's good to see that they got their stuff together following the upset loss that they experienced to Palisade. Dakota Ridge here, uh, you got to win these last two games. Your season is on life support at three and five here. It is not looking great, but the odd thing is that, you know, their points for at 276 is more than their points against 261. So they're scoring more than their opponents on average, but they have not been able to just translate that into a ton of wins here. And, you know, you could attribute that to maybe a porous defense here that does seem to be averaging a lot of points allowed. You could attribute that to a handful of things, but you got to focus on beating Grand Junction. That's very, that should be a win here to put you at four and five, but then you got to be hungry for this Stanley Lake game because Stanley Lake may also be in a win and you're in situation on Friday the 28th. So keep an eye on that. In addition, North Glen bounces back and gets a win over Mountain Range 21 to 7. Range View beats Prairie View 29 to 15. Denver East beats Overland in what may be a clinching game for the league title 27 to 10. Frederick who just got who just got back into our top 10 power rankings wins against Riverdale Ridge 42 to 14. Clear Creek loses to Jefferson. Jefferson, who probably, this is one of their few wins in the past few years, so kudos to them, wins 44-36. to 36. In some other news, Elizabeth takes care of business on the 2A level against Denver West for a win here. Sterling also beats, you know, revived program. Tim Nith here. Loveland in 4A action. Just, oof, that's tough to see. Rinse's skyline here, 57-0. to Probably a massive performance from Garrett Hardstead here. And despite Thursday having many exhilarating moments, we did not make it to any of those games. We went to our PMC game of the week between our number one and number three teams in 3A, Roosevelt at Northridge here. This game was in Greeley, and so let's jump right into it. Coach V and I made it out to this game. And so Roosevelt had the ball to start the game, and they have two runs for a first, but then Parker Steckel does punch the ball out and Roosevelt recovers. This would be one of the very few mistakes that Roosevelt would make for the day here. Roosevelt then goes deep and finds number six for a 30-yard gain. That kid there, number six, is going to be Bowie Schmitz going forward, just so everyone knows. And so they have the ball inside the 11-yard line. They have a stuffed run and then a fade that goes a little too far. Tucker Peterson does everything he possibly can to make this catch, but it's just a little too far out of the back of the end zone. And so this forces third and five where they run. Then on fourth and inches, they get called for an illegal motion penalty. And, you know, when they go to kick a field goal on fourth and five, there's a bad snap that doesn't make it to the, you know, placeholder. And this leads to a turnover on downs. And so Northridge starts with the ball on the seven yard line on one of these plays here that was really notable to me. Number 13, Isaiah Palacio, I want to say, makes an incredible read. I could tell that he was he's watching his film because he blows up this screen and forces third and 13 where a run gets stuffed and Northridge has to punt right back to Roosevelt who now has the ball on the 43-yard line. Bronco Hartson has a keeper 
and that goes for a few few yards. And then there's a Ramirez give that leads to a first down inside the 27-yard line. Then Ryan Doucette has a run for a first, then a few yards. And then Bronco Hartson keeps for the score. And shout out Anthony Munoz here with a block that seals this touchdown run and allows Roosevelt to take a 6-0 lead with 4.51 in the first tier. Northridge, they get the ball on the 16-yard line. And there's just mistake after mistake here where they have a holding penalty that pushes them back and then a sack. And on second and 21, there's a run that is swallowed up. Bronco Hartson actually with a huge tackle here. And Northridge unfortunately has to punt again. So Roosevelt with the ball on the 30-yard line. Um, number 24 for Northridge gets a push on the edge and, you know, kind of, coincidentally makes a tackle here that's Raul Gallegos he is a junior and he actually led the Grizzlies in tackles for loss in this game and you know he is a very solid football player so shout out him and you know this sets up a you know longer third down here a third and five eventually after an incomplete pass but they have a run here by you know their takeover guy in this particular game Xavier Ramirez here he it's it was his turn tonight and uh you know he runs for a first down here steckle then blows up a run at the line of scrimmage before Doucette gets to the one yard line and then ramirez punches it in there and the two point as well goes to xavier and they are up 14 to nothing northridge they have the ball on the 50 yard line to start this next drive after a good return and they have two runs that are just swallowed up before Rose zips in a pass to number eight. That is Braden Asmus here. And, you know, that goes for a first down here. Their timing all night was pretty spectacular. Braden ending the night with four receptions for 67 yards. But getting back on track here, they have a run for nine yards. It was probably their longest, well, one of their longer runs of the night for sure. But regardless on that, um... You know, there's an incomplete pass here. And on third and seven, Rose throws it a little too high. But on fourth and seven, Rose is behind on the throw. But Marquez here, Jaden Marquez, that is, reaches back and makes a great catch here and dances around for another big time first down. Then you have some pressure from the Rough Riders here. You know, I want to say it was number 33 was definitely back there. Uh, Elazar Valencia. And he actually ended the night with three sacks, so no surprise there. And then I also want to say that number 20 was in the backfield as well, that being Tucker Peterson. But, you know, that they have a sacks, and then, you know, eventually they get to second and 10. Uh, Rose zips one in for a first down. And they're driving really, really well on this drive. They get all the way to the eight-yard line going in. And it's third and eight. And Cooper, he just sees this pass way too late. It's covered very, very well. And Zach Guntel gets an interception here, killing this North Ridge drive and giving Roosevelt life. Roosevelt has the ball on their own 30 after the return. And they take a deep shot. They're trying to end this game right here, right now. And while it was incomplete, they do get a pass interference call from it. So, you know, they get moved up quite a bit. They get a smoke route that almost gets back to the line of scrimmage here. They have a penalty of their own and a few lost opportunities here. 
And on third and 15, there's a pass that is incomplete. And Northridge here, they got to be feeling good about forcing a Roosevelt punt here. Roosevelt, I think they're just a little too eager for the kill shot, but they will get their chance. Because Northridge, they have the ball on their own 23 before Anthony Munoz blows up a run. Nothing really happens. Third and eight. Uh, receiver goes up for a catch but lands out of bounds so Roosevelt has the ball right back on the 45 yard line and Xavier Ramirez rips off this incredible run here going for a whopping 44 yards and this really felt like a dagger here especially because on the next drive here um, Northridge goes three and out with three incompletions and a punt and Roosevelt tries to score before the half but they don't and it goes 22 to nothing heading into half and coach v said at this point quote roosevelt is giving big cherry creek vibes right now end quote and i could not agree with that anymore they just looked like the cream of the crop they looked so efficient on so many levels and you know northridge here they definitely are in a bad spot here but they do get the ball to start half and so starting in the second half they start on the 46, and Cooper Rose really puts things together on this drive here. He hits Ness for four, then a quick hitch for a first down. There's an incompletion and a sack, but on third and long, Cooper still hits his hitch to his guy number eight, Braden Asmus here, who gets a first down. Continuing on this drive, there is a holding penalty, and so they gain a few more yards there. That, that was on the defense for an incompletion, and then Ryan Doucette has excellent pass coverage and forces an incomplete pass, and before you know it, it's fourth down, but on the 22-yard line going in, Northridge knows that they need a touchdown here, and they dial up a seam route to Jaden Marquez. Cooper Rose looks off the safety with his eyes and he zips this one in to pull Northridge back within 7 to 22, 8 minutes and 7 seconds left in the third at this point. Roosevelt, they get the ball on the 20-yard line. Nothing too crazy. Bronco Hartson has run for six. Ramirez has a big run to get to the opposite 37-yard line for Ryan Doucette runs for nine himself. There's a muffed snap then an incomplete pass, and on 4th and 8, they go for it and turn over on down. So Northridge, they get the ball on the 42-yard line and unfortunately start off this drive by getting sacked by Valencia and two others. They then complete a 3rd and 7 here via... Okay, you could literally hear the ball bounce off the ground, but it was called a catch, so they get a 1st down here. On the very next play, it was almost a ball don't lie kind of situation because the receiver did lose the ball but this what he was already called incomplete and then there's another quick hitch here and following that Doucette has a beautiful pass breakup from the 29 yard line going in he just times it perfectly and then right after that they try a toss right that gets called for a hold then there's a miscommunication on a deep route and on third and 24 Cooper Rose keeps it for six yards and on fourth and 18 rose gets pressured and it results in a turnover on downs roosevelt here on the 40 yard line is you know looking to finally try and put this game away there's a pancake by number 66 on roosevelt so shout out him that gets called for holding i think it was a bad call 
but it doesn't matter because they get the run game going here. They eventually get a first down. A bad snap sets them all the way back to the 49-yard line. And on second and 35, a keeper is stonewalled. And so it's third and 34 for Roosevelt here, probably looking like a punt. But, you know, there's a, there's a good little call here made by Tucker Peterson, one of the best in the state to ever do it. Uh, he's currently chasing an all-time career receiving touchdown record for receivers in Colorado. And Bronco Hart's in here. They dial up a deep pass. And on third and 34 in double coverage, Tucker Peterson goes up and makes a phenomenal catch on the four-yard line for a first down and an automatic trip to the red zone here. And Roosevelt, they hand the ball off to Doucette, who gets to the one-yard line. A quarterback sneak is stuffed. And on third and inches, Hartson won't be denied and puts up Roosevelt 29-7 with 7 minutes and 50 seconds left in the game. And, you know, Northridge, they eventually turn over on downs on this next drive. No need to go too much into that. Roosevelt, they start with the ball in the 25 going in. And this would be the nail in the coffin. As you know, they have a few runs. And then there is a play-action boot to the right where Hartson finds his guy Tucker Peterson who makes a great grab and drags those feet and finishes by helping Roosevelt secure this dub. At that point, it was 36-7. And that would be the final score with 5 minutes and 20 seconds left in this game. Cooper Rose eventually would have to lead this game. And Justin Thill came in in the red zone and through an interception. So there is a possibility for a 36 to 13 or 14 game. However, we're not sure what Cooper Rose's status is. He's probably okay, but this Roosevelt team looked dominant like they have all year. And that was even with Bronco Hartson losing two fumbles and turning the ball over through the air once. It was not fantastic, but Northridge had their fair share of mistakes here with a few interceptions, and both these defenses really played well. I mean, you look at the Northridge side, Raul Gallegos, like I said, two tackles for loss. You also have Peterson here who had a tackle for loss as well. Parker Steckel was in on a ton of tackles. Ness, that being Isaac Ness and Damon West were making plenty of plays. And Cody Burkholder was also doing his thing on both sides of the football but this Roosevelt team just was a different animal on this day. Elazar Valencia had four total tackles for loss, three sacks, and two hurries. Then you also had Hernandez here, who had two tackles for loss of his own and a half a sack. You have three other guys here, like Ryan Knudsen, Anthony Munoz, and Dylan Doyon, who is a freshman, by the way, who all had two tackles for loss themselves. So just very disruptive in that backfield. Ryan Doucette eventually had an interception. That was the one that the backup quarterback for Northridge threw, and he also had three pass deflections. This Roosevelt team was without mercy and without fault here, and so that is definitely going to keep them at number one in our power rankings in case anyone was worried about it. Northridge here, a little bit of soul-searching to do, but this is not the first time that a top team in the state has lost to Roosevelt in kind of a tough way at home. So, you know, we'll see if they get another matchup, if it'll be anything like the Mead one, or if Northridge is going to be able to grow from this game. They definitely have the talent to be more competitive, but you just can't make mistakes. Slash, you have to capitalize off of mistakes that Roosevelt might ever make, since they are typically a pretty mistake-free team. But that was Roosevelt and Northridge, and that concludes our Thursday Night Scores recap. Now, as for Friday's games, we're going to go ahead and just talk the scores here before going into the games that we actually attended here. And I think a pretty 
big 3A matchup was between Palisade and Summit. Palisade with their backs against the wall here. This is a must-win game, and boy, do they have some guys that really try and grind it out for them. Malachi Espinosa running for 96 yards, Rhett Word, Ward running for 94 yards, and Phelan Salvati, the same three that you've been hearing, rush for 77 yards. They combine for just under 300 yards, including a few contributions from junior Caleb Wells. Rhett Ward getting both of the rushing touchdowns for this squad. Palisade here just can't really get it done through the air. Summit's defense is a little bit better here, and Summit avenges a loss from last year with a win here. You have guys like Eli Krawczuk, or Krawchuk here, who really just do the most here, going three tackles for loss on defense. Keaton Smith having a 20-tackle performance against Palisade for these Summit Cats here. You have Eli also getting a sack here and a couple of hurries from this squad. And then a forced fumble from Keaton Smith here that was also big time in what was a close win for the Tigers, 28-18 to over Palisade. This game was tied at 7 heading into half before a massive third quarter from Summit put them up 21-10. to And in the last frame, they both split a touchdown apiece, and that is just not quite enough here. Jack Shearholtz, you know, having a solid game here, 11 for 18 for 128 yards and a score. But really what he was able to do on the ground was super integral. 14 carries, 142 yards, and two scores, being the leading rusher and passer for this team. Those guys catching passes like Emilio... Jane, I want to say, with a score, with a receiving touchdown here, make it really possible. Keaton Smith, definitely somebody to keep an eye on for a playmaker of the week kind of deal here. In a little bit, we're going to jump all around here. 5A News, Doherty gets another win here, 47-20 to over Westminster. Solid performance from Caden Becker here, going 15 of 21 for 284 yards and five scores. But the running game was also getting it done here. Ricky Fletcher had 170 yards on only seven carries and two scores. Solomon Latimer with 170 yards and four touchdowns. Huge playmaker of the week kind of vibes here. As he does get very close, he's at 860 yards right now through these first eight games. So if he catches another 140 yards over the next two, that'll be a thousand yard season. So we got thousand yard season watch and also Doherty as a squad here does advance to five and three with games against North Glen and Overland. These are very winnable games and a very winnable league for these Spartans who've turned it around since not faring super well last year. In this other game that was a pretty monumental matchup between two playoff teams or potential playoff teams, it was Gunnison and Meeker here. And Gunnison edges out Meeker 23 to 21, despite the efforts of Connor Blunt, who still ran for 143 yards in this game. Just wasn't quite enough as these Cowboys lose to the other Cowboys here. And Gunnison in prime setup to actually win their league following their upset over Buena Vista. They are sitting at 6-2, and two, and they only have North Fork left. North Fork, obviously, got to be feeling themselves following their big win over Olathe, and they would love to play spoiler to Gunnison's plans here. In another 3A matchup here, Durango beats Glenwood Springs 57-14. Tyler Harms, who was our playmaker of the week last week, throws nine passes again this week, but does have two incompletions, going 7-9. of nine 
for 181 yards and two scores. And then Zachary Haber here having a stellar rushing performance out of the six rushing touchdowns for the Demons here. He had three of them on 11 carries and 119 yards. And then obviously this defense put in that work, five tackles for loss, couple of hurries, four interceptions in this game where they just continually harass Sandoval here. Gateway against Hinkley here. Gateway actually winning their first game after after having to forfeit three, four, five. Oh my gosh, they have forfeit a lot of games this year. I don't know if it's a numbers issue or what, but they finally have enough to field a squad and they beat Hinkley 46-6. Guys to talk about in a performance like this, uh, Niall Sorrell, I want to say, getting it done for Gateway here. Six of 11, two touchdowns, and then also having 17 carries for 182 yards and five touchdowns. So that's a seven touchdown performance from this Olympian here, and that is a Playmaker of the Week level performance. Bennett here dismisses Platte Valley here. Platte Valley, their season might be all but over here, sitting at 3-4 and four in a very competitive 2A match. Uh, they have a huge game against Wellington here. This is a must-win game for both of these teams who sit at 3-4 and 4-3 and three respectively. And, I mean, it's already looking tough to make it out of this division with, you know, Devlin and Bennett's performances over these past few weeks. Uh, Bennett here just getting it done on the ground going for 385 yards and three scores and eventually capping this game but not to be outdone uh, Tristan Kronk here who is a junior had three receptions for 132 yards and three touchdowns mass performance catching all those TD passes from Carson Hawkins. In what was the biggest 1A matchup of the week Ray just beats Yuma here they hold them off holding a 20 to 7 lead heading into the fourth quarter Yuma would score a touchdown making it 20 to 14 but just can't get that other score here this Ray defense just suffocates this Yuma offense to a paltry 1.8 yards per carry they're only averaging 5.8 yards per completion Yuma had to figure out alternative ways to score in this game here since you know damon hernandez did have to do the most here on you know the defensive side of the ball but you know outside of that mistake of the fumble for ray that was recovered for a touchdown uh, samuel meisner here two fumbles two lost fumbles here for the sophomore who did lead ray in carries and in touchdowns but also needs to reduce the turnovers here casey midcap with a bounce back game here i would say 9 of 17 137 yards and a score ray will retain their number two spot in our power rankings be sure to listen to the entire power rankings that will have little movement from both these teams here in the coming segments here in some 3a news discovery canyon does beat pueblo county 16 to 12 and some centennial league news grandview bounces back from that loss to arapaho with a 42 to 20 win liam zarka still not looking the cleanest that he's ever looked but donovan vernon the sophomore here does rush for 134 yards and two scores and zarka does get it done on the ground with two scores of his own smoky hill yikes uh they are not going to make the playoffs i think that officially eliminates them here and they haven't won a single game since overland so smoky hill stick a fork in them sorry guys and speaking of stick a fork in them we got a fork in roaring fork here who is two and five at this point in the season that is not going to be enough to 
make the postseason. But Buena Vista here, who does beat them 55-20 to on virtue of a lot of different ball carriers here. Hayden Camp ran for 134 yards and three scores. Jacob Phelps ran for another 130 as Buena Vista runs for 417 yards and five touchdowns in this massive performance against Roaring Fork. And they're going to need a little bit of help from North Fork here to see if they can win their league here. Fountain Fort Carson takes care of Douglas County here, 61 to 29. Tavian Tooley with a solid performance going 14 of 20 for 334 yards and four touchdowns. Excellent 70% completion percentage. Obviously, this performance is very well set up by the ground game that has 28 carries for 245 yards and five touchdowns of its own here. Looking at some receivers that were very notable here, Stevens Silva goes for 146 yards and a score here for Fountain Fort Carson. Douglas County just doesn't have the firepower to keep up. Davis Lish, you know, goes 14 of 27 for 215 yards and three scores. Then you also have him running for 100 yards additionally, but nothing too explosive to the level of what Fountain Fort Carson was producing. Horizon here continues to get a you know, their second win of the season here. Once they got to league, things have gotten a little bit easier. Granted, they have their toughest league game yet next week, but they do beat Brighton 26 to 20. Both these teams are not going to make the playoffs. Speaking of playoffs in question, Platte Canyon here, after starting off the season five and one, just lose an upset to Denver Christian, who's two and five, the inverse of of their setup here. They lose 39 to 24, and this may jeopardize their season. Part of the blame here is just that their offense was pretty abysmal in the passing game here, only completing one pass and also throwing an interception. A combined QBR of 2.8 and 39.6 between the two guys who threw passes here. Sam Patterson still had a solid enough game, rushing 36 times for 210 yards, but that would not be enough to overcome the Denver Christian passing attack here. Vista Ridge with a big win over Cheyenne Mountain. Cheyenne Mountain season is... I'm going to just say that it's over here at 3-5. and five. They do have games against Palmer. Yeah, their season's over. They're probably going to go... Th- four and six at best and it'd be a miracle if they made it out of this league with their strength of schedule and how competitive they were Braden Dorman here with an eight touchdown 508 yard performance here and booyah that has Braden Dorman on stat watch here throwing his 40th touchdown in this game and making him a part of an elite crew that is not very many of those who have thrown 40 touchdowns, and you know he has his eyes set on 50, so we will see how he does there. So keep that on watch and on notice. Vista Ridge with an overall solid win here. And some 5A action. Pine Creek does beat Legend here, 31-14. to This game was 7-0 Legend in the first half. It looked like Pine Creek was sleeping, but then they rattle off 17 unanswered points in the third quarter and eventually win this game 31 to 14 in a huge second half. And they just continue to run the ball. I am very concerned about this passing attack that went three of nine with a touchdown here. But, you know, when your defense steps up and adapts, it is what it is. And they are that's exactly their brand of football. Ramon Pacheco with another interception, looking to make our all-playmaker team. And they continue to get hurries on the quarterback. Huge shout-out to this defense for holding Legend to only 14 points after they've been so explosive all season. 
Heritage here gets a win in Fort Action over Stanley Lake. Stanley Lake on a little bit of a skid. They are going to be facing some pretty hungry opponents as well. And so they better be careful and try and win one of their next few games. If you can avoid going 500, that is going to be ideal for, you know, making the postseason. Heritage here all but completely stamps their ticket via a solid run game. Zyrek Siegler and Noah Schoen here combining for 230 yards and three touchdowns. That would be enough to fly the Eagles above these cats. Fossil Ridge beats Rocky Mountain in a Fort Collins showdown, 31-14. Tyler Kubat, in his return, goes 19-24 of 24 for 290 yards and three touchdowns. He still got it. And Colton Pollock, he didn't go away either. He had 18 carries for 111 yards and a score. Both these guys making, uh, if you had a fantasy football team for high school on Fossil Ridge, both these guys would be making you happy now. But I think the biggest benefactors here are pretty obvious in Trek Keyworth who does get six receptions for 83 yards, and Dominic Leone, who had seven catches for 104 yards and two scores. Fossil Ridge with Tyler Kubat back. That makes them very dangerous to win this league, and their next game will be against Fairview. That will decide the winner of the 5A League 3, and all eyes should be on that game. In some 2A action, jumping down a couple of classifications here. Steamboat Springs just outlasts Faith Christian 38-35 to here in a crazy game where Jack Malden for Faith Christian threw for 327 yards and three touchdowns. And Dante V. Hill here ran for 94 yards. But Steamboat here getting huge rushing efforts out of Cade Gedeon, who had 139 yards. In the air, he also went 15 of 17 for 214 yards. So overall, 350 yards for that kid. And then Grayson Buccino here, who had 104 yards of his own. Huge receiving performance from Austin Moore here, who had six receptions for 106 yards and a touchdown in this win here for Steamboat. Other action here, this was a big league matchup. This was actually for the league title, basically, between Basalt and Moffat County, two teams that were in the top 10. And this one went down to the wire as, you know, both teams scored seven in the first, seven in the second, six in the third. So heading into the fourth quarter, this game was tied 20-20 before Basalt just took over down the stretch and eventually won this game 34-20. to That wasn't without Evan Atkin having a 163-yard three-touchdown performance, but you know, the same can be said for any team game planning against the Bulldogs is to slow down Evan Atkin. But in Basalt's case, they just outgained him here as Cooper Crawford had 152 yards himself and Trevin Beckman had 168 yards. So huge rushing performance from a team that is normally so balanced. But when Cade Schneider, Cade Schneider was called upon to pass the ball, he was efficient going six of 10 for two touchdowns on 75 yards. And this Basalt team just figures it out when they need to the most. I expect Moffat County to still make the playoffs, but Basalt here has secured, in my eyes, a top eight seed and home field in the first round with this win. In other Friday action, Pagosa Springs upsets Montezuma Cortez 35 to 34. This was an insane comeback by Pagosa, who was down 27 to 7 heading into halftime, but then scored 28 points in the second half and slowed down the Cortez attack to just seven in the third quarter. Huge kudos to 
Colton Lucero and Aaron Aquin here who were catalysts in this comeback, combining for four touchdowns and 220-something-odd yards here. And also the defense that, you know, stepped up big time, especially here in the second half. I'm looking at Harley Armio here as a potential playmaker of the week candidate. 11 tackles, two of those being for loss. And then Aaron Aquin also getting it done with, you know, fumbles by recovering a fumble here. And then, you know, just doing every all the damage that he did in the run game on top of that and shout out to chandler mazur here who ended perfect five of five on pats and that fifth one being absolutely crucial to this one point win here for the pirates lewis palmer beats pueblo south pueblo south season is definitively over and i'm not sure if lewis palmer's season really matters all that much at this point either Ellicott here gets their first win over the other winless team here in 1A, the Meloneers here. So kudos to Ellicott for their first win. Chatfield here with a large 35-6 win over Lakewood to keep their playoff hopes alive. Broomfield here with a 56-0 win on senior night, a night where Cola Crew went 7 for 11, and he was convenient going a 4-0 to TD to INT ratio and collecting another 41 yards. C.T. Worley got his chance once again to show some moxie here, going 3 of 3 for 6 yards and a score. So, you know, good work for the backups here. Adam City, their season is definitely over, and they could try and play spoiler in these next few weeks, but I'm not sure the success of that. In the last of games that we didn't attend news, Cherry Creek dispatches Eagle Crest here 42-7, and it sounds like Brady Vodica will be getting the nod moving forward this season. Eagle Crest, I mean, Diego Kearns, 107 yards and a score, but outside of that, nothing too much going for these Raptors. Now, there are some Friday games that we were able to attend. I'm going to go ahead and start off with mine first because I'm already here. So I went to Mullen vs. Legacy. I said that this game was probably going to have the biggest weight towards League, and I did not realize how correct I was here. So Mullen, they start with the ball on their 20-yard line, and they open up with a halfback pass. That doesn't work. On the next play, number 52 of Legacy blows up the run. Uh, I think that Woodruff probably could have stuck a hand out to slow him down, but... Then a pass kind of luckily lands in the receiver's hands for a first down. And on the next throw, Aaron Waymeyer shrugs off three tackles and gains three yards. Uh, Waymeyer does this again for another five yards before a false start, pushes them back. And then a pass goes straight to Legacy's Ethan Sanchez. And Legacy has the ball at the 37 going in with eight minutes and 50 seconds in this first quarter. There's a swing pass here that's taken all the way to the six-yard line. Jordan Leslie makes a nice tackle at the line of scrimmage on the ensuing play. And then there's an illegal shift, but Cullen Lerma does his thing, and he runs it in, and Legacy goes up 7-0 with 8 minutes and 13 seconds still left here in the first quarter. Now, Mullen Ball back on the 20-yard line, 8 minutes and 13 seconds. There's a big pass here on their second play of scrimmage to number 49 here. That is Ish Eceves, I want to say. And that is one of the biggest gains that Mullen gets all game here. This is completed down the left sideline. But, you know, after a few more plays, there is a pass that is intercepted 
going deep downfield by Marcus Romero of Legacy. But Legacy starts this drive instead on their own 15-yard line with five minutes remaining in the first. And while they do run for a few first downs, there is an overthrow and a stuffed run and a smoke route that leads to an eventual fourth and 16, and this drive ends in a punt. Now Mullen has the ball on their own 30 with two minutes and six seconds, and they pass, pass, pass before the safety for Legacy jumps the ball, and Legacy has the ball on the 35 with 38 seconds in the first quarter. This ends after two short runs, and Legacy is leading 7 to nothing. But with the ball in the 31 going in on third and six, Lerma finds Madden here, Tyler Madden that is, who makes a guy miss with an absurd move and turns up field on fourth down that is to put Legacy up 14 to nothing with 11 minutes and 44 seconds in the half. Mullen once again with the ball on their 20 yard line. There are a few stuffed runs, a few holding penalties on both sides that results in a third and five where number 13 here for this Mullen squad, Cam Lewis, Cameron Lewis, makes a nice grab here for a first down, getting a foot in, moving it not only for a first down, but to the other side of the field. Then there's a big run here by Waymeyer that just goes for a first down. And on top of that, they get a penalty to put the ball at the eight yard line. Now, here they're only down 14 to nothing and they get stuffed on a few runs and end up with fourth and goal and their pass falls incomplete here and Legacy takes over on their own four-yard line. Um, Lerma here, he keeps one play alive for a minute and you know gets a first down, but eventually Legacy does have to punt. Mullen then gets the ball on the 24-yard line and they fumble. So Legacy with a short field here. They have a few stuffed runs before there is, well, they go for a field goal attempt here on fourth and eight, and there's a bad snap, and Mullen recovers on the 35 with three minutes and three seconds left in the half. Mullen, they have a short run and an incomplete throw. Then there's a throw into double coverage that luckily doesn't get intercepted, and on fourth and eight, they end up punting. And so Legacy, on their own 30-yard line with two minutes and 10 seconds left in the half, they sell this, it's a beautiful play design because they do the same motion as the swing pass earlier, but it's a fake swing and then it's a hitch to the opposite side here. And so that gets a good, you know, decent amount of yardage. Then Lerma rolls out left and hits his guy for a first before scrambling for six on the next play. They take a timeout here with 57 seconds left and get sacked here, forcing third and seven where it is incomplete. But on fourth and seven, Colin Lerma is in his bag. He is looking downfield, doesn't see anything that he likes, takes off, going left, right, up, down, back, forth, B, A, B, A, B, cheat code level run here for a 42-yard touchdown to put Legacy up 22-0 heading into half. And the second half was more of the same as Legacy repeats that 22 nothing score in the second half as well making the final score of this football game 40 to nothing legacy leaving no doubts that they are the league champs here and in this game they force four interceptions and actually intercept three different quarterbacks in that or two different quarterbacks in that time kurza the junior just has a really tough time nick accardi gets a chance to make some plays here but just doesn't quite capitalize
Mullen here. Ah, it's it was hard to watch this game. This offensive line is very poorly coached. There's plenty of false steps. There's lunging everywhere. There's you know false starts. There's mental mistakes. They're not picking up the right guys. And so when your offensive line isn't clicking, I don't know if it was because of this legacy front and the blitzes and the you know looks that they saw that confused them. But you got to watch film. You got to prepare for that. I mean, this Mullen offense averaged two yards per carry as a unit with the lead rusher, Waymeyer, averaging 3.2. And he had to fight for every single one of those yards. Um, whereas on the flip side, Legacy runs for 240 yards and six yards per carry and a total of four touchdowns here. Mullen getting shut out at home against the league winner. Not a good look. They have some serious soul searching to do. I know that they've had a handful of injuries this year, but there are also some things that were in their control that I don't think were executed properly here. And kudos to the Lightning here, who now move to a very, very solid 6-2 and two here. They have Horizon and Brighton. This should be an 8-2 and two squad heading into the postseason. I will admit here that I was wrong about this Legacy squad. They've had some guys really step up. Lerma in particular has been just a splendid athlete here, throwing for over 1,000 yards. He's at 640 yards on the ground, 21 total touchdowns to only two interceptions, and it only look, he's lost a few fumbles. But, I mean, huge kudos to Lerma, huge kudos to Madden, Tyler Madden, that is, and huge kudos to, you know, the coach, Madden as well, who has really stepped up this legacy team and has overperformed in a lot of different areas. Now, I'm going to go ahead and pass it to Simon and Gideon, who went to two different games, Simon going to a huge 1A matchup, and Gideon going to an exciting Northern football event. Coming up. What's good, y'all? My name is Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V, and I went to this Bainingles Academy versus Colorado Springs Christian game on October 14th, 2022, a 1A matchup here in the Springs, right next to UCCS. Winner of this game would basically guarantee or almost guarantee a spot in the playoffs as of right now. They're kind of on that bubble. They're in that 15, 16, 17 type of spot. And so winning this game would go a long way and at least putting themselves in front of the other team, which would go a long way in uh, securing a spot in the playoffs just because of how crowded it is right now. And so here we go. Colorado Springs Christian goes ahead and receives and on the first play they try to roll out here and they throw it but it is intercepted by Baiting Lewis Academy and so BLA goes ahead and takes over here but unfortunately a fumbled handoff on this drive will kind of kill the vibes of this thing put them back a lot of yards and so eventually they would have to punt it after going three and out and so here we go Colorado Springs Christian they take over on the 49 yard line right behind um, or kind of near midfield here and so they kind of get the party started with a nice uh, dive for a first down by Will Moore then an end around by number one that's Jonah Bullock would go ahead and get them a nice chunk of yards about 15 plus yards I want to say and another first down here and then uh, they basically get into the red zone a couple plays later it's like third and six and the quarterback Jace Velasquez would actually go ahead and scramble and almost score but he'd be down on 
the one yard line here. And so there you go there. But doesn't matter. Uh, another couple plays later, Jace Velasquez goes ahead and finds his running back Ashton Lofton on the on the swing route, excuse me, making it 6-0 with 7.39 left. Um, Colorado Springs Christian, they don't really kick extra points. I've watched them enough at this point uh, to know that they don't do that. And so they went for two here and they didn't get it. The ball was overthrown. So... There you go, but they still lead 6-0. to zero. Now, Banning Lewis Academy, they get the ball next, and they try to get something going. They actually take over kind of around midfield here, but a holding penalty on this drive would once again kill the vibes of this drive, um, make it put them in a very difficult third and long situation, which they would not be able to get. Uh, just too many penalties on that drive, and so they go three and out, and they punt it as well. Now... Colorado Springs Christian they also try to get something going but they can't and so um a uh, what is it a big sack actually by Kareem Fudge would uh put this one out of reach making it third and 25 now Colorado Springs Christian would take a shot downfield on third and 25 but like I said it was a little bit too far in the past uh ended up being incomplete here and so uh Instead of punting it, I mean, they basically won three and out, but instead of punting it, they tried to run a fake, um, where, and I guess there was also a, a pitchback option in there as well, where the guy running the fake, he would run up a little bit and then pitch it backwards, and then the other guy would get the first down, but it wasn't even close, Banning Lewis Academy stops that, and they basically get the ball near midfield and they get something going here to start this drive here after a couple of drives where they're just shooting themselves in the foot with all these penalties and so a toss to number seven that's joseph uh Biegovic, i want to say um gets them about two fourth and inches here it was third and five so it gets about four ish five ish yards doesn't matter as sam bell goes ahead and sneaks it in for a first down and then right before the quarter ends, they go ahead and toss it, I believe, to Biegovic, who gets another first down and puts them in the red zone right before the second quarter starts. Now, here in the second quarter, you know, uh, they get hit with more troubles again. Another holding penalty kills the vibes of this drive, makes it a very long second and 18. They try to run it to Liam Kitzmiller, but that doesn't go anywhere, so it's actually third and 20 here on third down when they uh, try to convert and they throw it and it's obviously a miscommunication because nobody no receivers in the area and so that brings up fourth down now baiting loose academy would go for it um but it's fourth and 20 and so like i don't i don't know i don't think there was any chance of them getting it and there wasn't colorado springs christian kills that play pretty easily after the catch and so that was that um, at this point, Colorado Springs Christian, they're trying to go up another score, but uh, this Banning Lewis Academy defense is playing pretty well here. Julian Latterman and Riley Dotson got a pretty big sack here on third down to force a three and out, and so it's still a 6-0 here. You know, it's not out of control just yet, and this is where Banning Lewis Academy finally starts to get something going. They start with a sweep here. 
that brings up second and nine. Then a misdirection play to Chase Rio, the running back, would bring up third and five. But it does matter as Joseph Biegovic goes ahead and runs it up the middle. And once again, it is fourth and inches. He does get a number of good yards though, but it doesn't matter. They go ahead and hand it off to Chase Real, who gets it done and keeps his drive going. And that's kind of the name of this drive here. They give the ball off to Chase Real a lot, and he just kind of works that middle here, you know, just carving them up, running it up the middle over and over and over again. And so they're basically in the red zone, about on the eight yard line here. And to end this drive, Chase Real goes ahead and gets a touchdown, as you could guess, right up the middle. And so they go ahead and tie this one up. And interesting enough, here in the second quarter, Banning Lewis Academy decides to go for two, which is a very important thing to keep in mind. And so they go ahead and roll out the quarterback, Sam Bow here. It's a pass play, and he throws it to Liam Kitzmiller, who makes a great catch for the two-point conversion, and just like that, Banning Lewis Academy takes control of this game and goes up 8-6 to six despite some early, uh, you know, stumbles on previous drives. And so there you go there. Now, Colorado Springs Christian, there's plenty of time left. There's about 3 minutes 18, and so CSCS, you know, they're trying to go ahead and drive down the field, retake the lead right before halftime, and that is basically what they do they start on the 34 yard line by the way and then that's uh where they get going and so they go ahead and throw it to number nine taylor mcleod who by the way is such a playmaker here and he makes it work gets a nice spin move gets another first down uh that goes for about 10 yards there uh so there you go after that ashton lofton dive up the middle gets another first down in a row and then a couple plays later, it's about third down here. Jace Velasquez, uh, it's third and 10, by the way. Jace Velasquez, he runs around, buys himself a lot of time before finding a wide open Ashton Lofton over the middle. And that goes for a huge 15 plus yard gain and a third consecutive first down. At that point, that basically puts them uh, in the red zone just about on the 20 here. A play or two later, penalty or two later actually, uh, it is second and 18, but it doesn't matter as of Velasquez, he goes ahead and finds number 22 Brian Austin for a big 14-yard gain before throwing another slant to Taylor McLeod, who almost scores here, he's like right there, but they rule him down on the one, so it's basically inches at this point. Um... And it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, a couple plays later, they go ahead and they run a misdirection play to Ashton Lofton. Uh, Banning Lewis Academy did get a couple nice stops. You know, they were trying to run it up the middle, but it wasn't working. And so with about 12 seconds left, they go ahead and run that misdirection to Ashton Lofton. And he finds a lane outside and he's it. That goes for a touchdown. Um, Colorado Springs Christian, you know, in the point after. They try to go for two. They don't get it. The Banning Lewis Academy defensive line brings the pressure, and they go ahead and kill that. And so basically right before uh, halftime, Colorado Springs Christian takes back the lead 12-8, to and that would be the score going into halftime here. Now, Banning Lewis Academy would start this drive here in the third quarter, but as you guessed it, another holding penalty on this drive would go ahead and kill the vibes make it a pretty tough third and 15 uh situation which you know they have to pass it it's incomplete and so they go ahead and punt it basically going three and out after getting a first down here 
on that drive. Uh, Colorado Springs Christian, not not too much better here. Uh, they go ahead and get a well. First off, they get a good throw to Taylor McLeod, you know, and it looks like he comes down with it for a touchdown, but they rule it incomplete, and so it's second and ten. Uh, after they took that deep shot. And then on second and 10, there's an overhead snap. The snap is horrible. It just goes over uh, Velasquez's head. And so Banning Lewis Academy is able to go ahead and recover that. And they take over on the 50 here. And so here we go. Banning Lewis Academy begins to put together a nice drive here. They go ahead and uh, get it to Liam Kitzmiller on an out route. He gets them a first down to get this thing going. Then they get him on an end around that goes about for two or so, you know, gets them about two yards, making it second and eight. Um, but Sam Bell, the quarterback, goes ahead and finds number 20. That's George Aiken. He gets them a first down and more. And so that goes ahead and puts them on the 24. And so Banning Lewis Academy at this point is rolling here uh they get into the red zone thanks to a chase reel toss and then a couple plays later it is joseph biegovich that they go ahead and hand off to on the sweep and he goes ahead and gets the touchdown after weaving in and out through a couple of uh cscs defenders and just like that they retake the lead they go ahead and kick the extra point here instead of going for two and take the 15 to 13 lead with about four minutes 34 seconds left here in the third now Colorado Springs Christian with a chance to respond and Banning Lewis Academy their defensive line comes up big and they swarm Jace Velasquez here and go ahead and sack him uh, on third and 12 forcing a three and out and getting the ball back so here we go Banning Lewis Academy with the chance to go ahead and extend their lead but Oh my god. They get another holding penalty. The number of holding penalties in this game against Banning Lewis Academy were absolutely ridiculous. I mean, they were drive killers, to be honest. And so that holding penalty um, goes ahead, puts them in a tough situation. They're not able to convert because it's like third in a million. And so they go three and out and punt it back to Colorado Springs Christian, who takes over on the 39-yard line to start the fourth quarter, only down... Uh, only down two points so definitely anybody's game here and so here we go uh on first down velasquez he drops back but he is sacked by kareem fudge who's having an absolute day balling out here so there you go uh then after that there's a false start called on cscs so that makes it a long second and 18 um and then Here's what happens next here. Uh, they go ahead and they obviously try to pass it here to get some yards. But the ball is tipped at the line of scrimmage by a lineman. And then picked off by linebacker Riley Dotson. And Riley Dotson, he is running this one back. But then he gets tackled. And as he gets tackled, he fumbles the football. And so that's when lineman Kareem Fudge picks up the football and runs it back about 20 yards for a touchdown outrunning some guys here and just like that banning loose academy takes a commanding 22 to 12 lead after the extra point with about 11 minutes left here in the fourth quarter now colorado springs christian they gotta get back into this game with some big plays here they're only down 11 
you know, or sorry, they're only down 10, so it could definitely be a lot worse here. And so that's what they do. Jace Velasquez, he goes ahead and he drops back and he takes a shot to his star wide receiver, Taylor McLeod, who catches a 40-plus yard bomb, basically putting them on the 50 after uh, they took over on the 10. So there you go. A um, couple plays in here, you know, uh, Jonah Bullock, on an end around he gets a big 15 yard rush and a first down that basically puts them in the red zone uh like i said after a couple plays then it's third and inches here uh basically on the goal line like i said a couple plays later they go ahead and hand it off to ashton lofton who goes ahead and runs this one in and makes it a 22 to 18 game here um they tried to go for it too but there was a high snap on the two-point conversion, and so just like that, you know, Colorado Springs Christian gets a couple big plays here, and they only trail 22-18 with about eight minutes left here in this game. Now, banning Lewis Academy here. They take over on the 48 after Colorado Springs Christian tries to kick the onside kick, which um, was really interesting. They almost got it, but they didn't, and so there you go. Now, a couple plays later, it's about... Uh, I would say it's about third and five here, and they decide, Banning Lewis Academy decides to run it, where Nate Tonneson, the big-time defensive end, comes up with a huge tackle for loss, making it fourth and seven, killing that run right away. And right away, Colorado Springs Christian calls a timeout with about four minutes, 56 seconds left. Uh, Banning Lewis Academy, they go ahead and decide to go for it, which is a little interesting here instead of punting it. And so they go for it and they don't get it. And just like that, Colorado Springs Christian takes over on the 32 here going in. Uh, so there you go. Now they get a big wide receiver screen that goes for about, I would say, 20 plus yards as they take over on the 48 past midfield at this point. Like I said, they would need some big plays to get back in it. And so that is what they are doing and so they get another first down after that on a nice run. Then Casey Orwick on the carry gets another, a third consecutive first down uh, on this run play here. And so just like that, they are in the red zone a couple plays in. Um, then right after that, Jace Velasquez, he drops back and he finds Taylor McLeod. Who makes a crazy diving catch for the touchdown. Just an excellent play here by Taylor McLeod. And just like that, Colorado Springs Christian retakes the lead 24-22 to here. And they go ahead and extend that lead on this two-point conversion. They throw the screen here. And so that makes it 26-22 with 2.20 left. A lot of big plays here. A lot of big chunk plays here by Colorado Springs Christian to get back in. And so Banning Lewis Academy, they got plenty of time. They take over here on the 47-yard line. And here on first down, Sam Bell, he drops back and he's trying to extend this play. But he, I mean, he's running towards the sideline at this point. And he's trying to extend it, but he just takes way too much time by this point. He should have thrown it away. And so he goes ahead and takes a pretty bad sack, making it second and 15. You know, a tough situation to be in as the clock still runs here. Uh, then Banning Lewis, they try to throw the toss here. Um, or, yeah, they try to run the toss play here. But that stopped uh, pretty much short here for a minimal game. And so it's third and 10. Um, Banning Lewis Academy, before they run, the next play goes ahead and calls their second timeout of the half with about a minute 21 left. 
Then Sam Bell, he goes ahead and he drops back. Um, George Aiken, his receiver, he's running a corner route. He's wide open. He throws it to his receiver. Probably would have a touchdown if not a big play uh, if he completed this pass, but he doesn't. He overthrows him. And that's a very fatal mistake here as it's now 4th and 10 without, with about a minute 16 left here. And so here we go. Banning Lewis Academy, they go ahead and they call a screenplay to the running back. That's Chase Real. And he goes ahead and he gets them a first down, wills themselves forward despite some big mistakes here. And so there you go. Uh, they go ahead and get the first down and then Sam Bell spikes it immediately afterwards. There's about a minute, four seconds left here. So then Banning Lewis Academy, they try to go ahead and run a play here. But the snap is, it looks like it's just dropped by their quarterback, Sam Bell here like it wasn't a bad snap or anything and so it kind of bounces off his hands but he falls on it and so baiting loose academy keeps the ball here but it is a tough third and 15 and the clock is definitely rolling here and so it's a tough situation but they gotta go deep here and so it's fourth down you know you gotta get something they go ahead and they throw it deep but this one is easily intercepted, thrown into uh, double, triple coverage here as Casey Orwick at safety goes ahead and picks this one off and ends the game. And just like that, Colorado Springs Christian gets a key win, 26-22 over Banning Lewis Academy. Colorado Springs Christian seemingly solidifying their spot here in the playoffs as they are now 4-3. Um, moving forward, though, they do play Alcott and Payton. I'm, obviously, I'm assuming they win those games, and they should have a spot in the playoffs at 6-3 and three with a good win over Banning Lewis Academy and also a very uh, you know close loss to Rye the previous week here. And so Colorado Springs Christian sitting in a good spot. Um, Banning Lewis Academy, on the other hand, they're not eliminated from the playoffs. At least I don't think so. Uh, they're 4-3. and three. They have Rye on Saturday, this Saturday, at home. And so that is absolutely a must win. If they want a chance at making the playoffs here, and then obviously they got to beat Elcott the following week as well. And so we'll see about Baiting Lewis Academy. I mean, Baiting Lewis Academy, they easily could have won this game, but the number of drives that were literally just ending on holding penalties ridiculous you can't have that you know your line has to play better. i mean everyone has to play better you know and then obviously there were some missed opportunities here on this last drive as well but like i said you know a lot of missed opportunities for them colorado springs christian played pretty good defense for the most part here you know brought the pressure then offensively they were on it so there you go like i said final score 26 to 22 here colorado springs christian gets a big dub Ashton Lofton with a huge game here, probably player of the game actually. He had 145 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns along with 45 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown. Going for the hat trick here as, like I said, CSCS gets a huge dub. Thank you, Simon. And now for Gideon with Longmont and Monarch. Hello, everyone, to this week's recap. Today, I will be going over the events of the matchup between the Longmont Trojans and the Monarch Coyotes. Both of these programs have struggled this year, but have a lot of potential moving into the end of the season. This was also Longmont Senior Night, so they had some extra incentive to get a win. This game was extremely fast, with it starting at 7 and being over at about 9. Now, on to the recap. 
In the first quarter, Monarch started this game on defense, and the kickoff was a touchback. To be honest, the opening frame was extremely rough for the Coyotes. They did not defend the run well and allowed a steady march downfield by Longmont. Archie Yon got a tackle and then shared one with Trey McMahon. The Coyotes had a good goal line stand, but eventually led in a touchdown to go down 0-7 with 4.27 left in the first. On offense, Griffin Weber ran for six, but an allowed sack set them back. Asher Ewing threw a 20-yard pass to Owen Mellish, and then two long runs forced Longmont to take a timeout. After an incompletion, Aiden Murray ran for short, and then Weber ran for four more. After an almost touchdown and a drop by a receiver, county kicker Evan Lyons kicked a field goal. Now, here's the thing. Lyons is a good kicker the majority of the time. Longmont respected him, and looking at his stats, their fear was rational. Lyons, prior to this game, was 3 of 10 on the season for field goal, but 12 of 13 on PATs, with his longest field goal make being a 54-yarder. However, in this one, he missed his first field goal of the night from about 30 with about 109 to go. After some iffy run defense, Lucas Holmberg got a tackle to close the first. The second quarter is where the fun begins. To open the second, Mellish had a tackle, and then the Coyotes had a group tackle to stop a run at the four-yard line, but, but they ended up letting in another running touchdown with 9.04 left in the half. Ryan Hanlon returned the kickoff to the 21, followed by a pass to Fox Reichert for 7 yards. Ewing snuck it through for 8 and then handed it to Joseph Epperson, who got a first down. Reichert then got a moss and go so acrobatic that it made my knees hurt thinking about it. Then, Murray ran for 8, followed by Weber getting a catch and go for a first down. Ewing had a throw under pressure to Weber for 2, followed by Epperson getting a pitch for a first down. Weber then caught for five, and after a timeout, with 4.28 to go in the half, Ewing ran to make it third and five turn into a fourth and one. They went for it, and Murray got the first down. This made it first and ten on the 12-yard line. Murray made a short catch, and then Reichert made a catch just barely in the end zone for a Coyote touchdown. Lions hit the PAT, and Warner closed it to 7-15 to with 1.58 left on the clock. The kickoff by Lyons was a touchback, which is what he is most successful at. On the season, Lyons has 1,468 yards on 26 kickoffs, which is pretty darn good. On defense, the Coyotes had a pass interference penalty, and then Jan had some really good pass coverage. Weber had a good tackle, followed by Gavin Fagan and Rex Muldoon sharing one of their own. And Monarch took a timeout, with 17 seconds to go in the half, pretty darn close to their own goal. However, they let Longmont get to the 2-yard line. They had to get the stop, but after taking a timeout right after Longmont took one, with 2 seconds left, they let in the touchdown at the buzzer. Muldoon almost blocked the PAT, but it went in regardless, and Monarch trailed 7-22 to at the half. The Coyotes started the second half with possession, and either Alex Siegler or Brody Gray returned the kickoff for 40. Weber got the ball one yard, but then a false start set Monarch back. Weber caught and ran for a critical 60-yard touchdown, where he broke multiple tackles and pumped up the Coyotes' energy. Lions hit the PAT, and Monarch had closed the gap to 14-22, with 10.51 on the clock in the third. The kickoff was a touchback yet again, and on defense, Kemper Stilson, among others, got a tackle to force a fourth and four, and Jan got a good return on the first punt of the game through contact. 
Weber ran for three, and after a false start, Mellish was this close to catching a 50-yard touchdown. This led to a third and 11, which unfortunately ended in a turnover on downs. Ziegler got a tackle, then McMahon got a great hard tackle for loss, and the D forced a fourth down. Max Luo and Max Ray shared a tackle, followed by Fagan and Muldoon sharing one more of their own. Dominic Gendro got a tackle to stop a first down, and then strong interior defense forced a turnover on downs. Mellish caught for 11, Reichert ran for 12, and then Murray ran for 5 more to end the third quarter. Ewing opened the fourth by sneaking for a first down, and then once more for 3 more yards. Reichert caught for 12, followed by Ewing somehow staying up through multiple tackles for a first down. Murray then made it 25 yards, and Monarch called a timeout with 9.18 to go in the match. Murray then punched in a touchdown, and they decided to go for the conversion. It was a screenplay on the right side, but the receiver that caught it got picked up and carried out at the 1, making it a 20-22 game with 9 minutes 12 seconds left. Yet again, the kickoff was a touchback, and McMahon had good pressure to start the defensive drive. Stilson got another tackle, followed by Teddy Hart pushing out what could have been a touchdown run. Muldoon and Weber shared a huge tackle, followed by good QB pressure by Ray. McMahon got a deflection, which helped to force a turnover on downs with 3.15 left. Now in their two-minute offense, Murray ran for a first down. Alex Leone caught a pass for 12, Murray got two more yards, Ewing ran for three, and then there was a timeout with 87 seconds left on the clock, and Murray then ran for a critical first down. The Coyotes then had a fourth and four, and Yon made it five for a first down on the 20. Monarch got pushed back to the 25 with about 45 seconds left, and Lions lined up the field goal attempt. Lions missed the 35-yarder wide left from the right hash mark, and the game was over 20-22. to the defensive playmaker of the game for the Monarch Coyotes was Trey McMahon. McMahon was the most consistent defensive presence for the Coyotes all throughout the night, with a lot of key tackles, good reads, and all-around solid play. The linebacker is only a junior, so he will likely continue to be a menace to the opposing defenses for the following year and a half. He is a force to be reckoned with on the D-line. The offensive player of the game for the Coyotes was Asher Ewing. Ewing is the type of QB that you don't want to face, one that is ready to fight. Ewing entered the season in a battle for the starting QB role, and he showed why he earned it during this game. He had a QB rating of 133.2, with 207 yards on 16 for 24 attempts. He made a lot of big plays, made the right passes to his guys, and most of the ones that were incomplete bounced off of the guy's hands. I had to compete to start the season, says Ewing. My motto is compete, don't get beat. The playmaker of the game for the Coyotes is Griffin Weber. Weber was a beast on both sides of the ball. If y'all haven't noticed, I love players that can play both ways, and Weber is one of the rare examples of guys on the 4A level that can. The 6-foot, 180-pound junior had 89 all-purpose yards, including his 60-yard touchdown, but he also had six tackles on the night. His on-field presence and leadership on both sides of the ball was one of the main reasons that Monarch was in this game as late as they were, and Weber played a huge role. This type of game, despite the loss, will help us moving into the playoff season, says Weber. 
It'll help us gain grit moving forward. Now for the Longmont segment. I do want to preface this with one quick thing. Grant Cummins is listed on the roster twice, once as number 3 and once as number 53. I'm not sure how to deal with this, so I'm just going to attribute plays made by number 3 and number 53 to Cummins. Now, on to the segment. Longmont started out with possession in this game. Cole Gaddis started them out by running for three, and then a sneak by Kobe Holmes got them a first down. Gaddis ran for three more, followed by South Dakota State commit Noah Atherton blocking so that Holmes could get six. Bryson Strandberg caught a first down, followed by Holmes stiff-arming a dude for five. Holmes then pitched a freshman tight end, Joey Foote for ten, and Gaddis ran for a first down, but after an unsuccessful QB run, Holmes threw a touchdown pass to Foote. Tristan Wrench then hit the PAT to put Longmont up 7-0 over Monarch with 4.27 on the clock in the first. Kobe Derrickson got a tackle, followed by Isaiah Prospero and Griffin Taylor sharing a sack. Gail Garcia got a tackle, and after allowing multiple long plays, the Trojans called a timeout with 2.30 left on the clock. A Holton-Lowry tackle forced a field goal attempt, which fell short. Strandberg caught a 15-yarder, and after a timeout with 54 seconds left, Strandberg caught again for a first down to end the quarter. To start the second, Foote showed off some finesse with a catch-spin-stiff-arm combo for a first down. Strandberg caught for one, and then Gaddis ran for a tutty. Foote then punched through contact to convert, making it 15-0 with 9.04 to go in the half. Jack O'Brien got a tackle, followed by a push-out by Wrench. Derrickson got a deflection, and then Silas Nolan got attacked, followed by Grant Cummins getting one of his own. The defense had a potluck on the following play, with Nick Domaska, Cummins, and Wrench all sharing a tackle. O'Brien forced the runner out with the help of Cummins and Logan Johnson. However, this could not stop the throwing TD, and the gap was narrowed at 15-7, with 1.58 to go in the second frame of play. Holmes got the ball three yards, and then for ten more. Strandberg almost caught a 40-yard pass, but there was pass interference on the play. A pitch to foot resulted in eight yards, followed by Holmes rushing for a first down. Gaddis had a catch and managed to run with a guy wrapped around him on a tackle that Gaddis really didn't take seriously before another guy joined and pushed him out. Levi Schneck caught a 19-yard pass, and then Griffin Taylor caught another for 30. Longmont made it to the one and called a timeout with two seconds left on the clock before Monarch did the same. Gaddis bust through the defensive line for the tutty, and Wrench hit the PAT to put the Trojans up 22-7 going into halftime. Entering the third quarter, Strandberg's kickoff went 45 yards, and then on D, I noticed something pretty darn cool. Holmes was off to the side, away from the team on the sideline. This sounds odd, but then it made sense when I noticed him yelling encouragement to his defense. You don't often see this from a quarterback. More often, you see it from the lineman. It was obvious that Holmes cared and wanted the other side of the ball to know that he cared and acknowledge their hard work. However, that didn't help much on this drive, because Longmont let in a 60-yard catch-and-go tutty. This made it 22-14 with 10.51 to go in the third. Holmes ran for five, pitched it to foot for short, but then Strandberg had a punt. After a delay of game, the punt went 40. The Trojans then played good D and forced a punt on 4th and 11. Strandberg caught for 8, followed by Gaddis running for a first down. 
After a pitch for loss, Gaddis pushed the ball forward 7 yards and then ran for a first down on 4th and short. A high snap led to a tackle for loss, and then Stramberg got two straight plays, which managed to make it 4th and 2. However, Longmont then turned it over on downs, and ending the third quarter, the Trojans played a pretty decent defense. Entering the fourth, Cummins got himself another tackle, along with Taylor getting one of his own, but the Longmont defense failed to stop a touchdown. However, Monarch went for the conversion. I was standing behind the Ed zone, and as I saw the Monarch player make the catch, I could feel that something was going to happen. Something that would keep the conversion out of the end zone. By the time I saw Garcia, he had already tackled and pushed the receiver out of bounds back from the one yard line. It was really trippy. This made it so that it was either win or lose, with no overtime for the Trojans, as they were up 22-20 with 9-12 left. Gaddis ran for 5, then again to make it 3rd and short, and then once more for the first down. Atherton opened a hole for Strandberg to rush for short, and then he ran again for this about the same distance. Holmes pitched it to foot for 8, but then a dropped pass threatened the offensive play. Gaddis ran for short, and then Foot caught and ran for 35. Strandberg ran for short, which led to a timeout with 4.07 left in this close game. After an incompletion, Longmont was on 4th and 8, which they could not convert, leading to a turnover on downs with 3.51 left. Johnson got a tackle, followed by Derrickson, who then got another one, this time for loss in the exact right moment. Johnson and Garcia shared a tackle to force a 4th and 5 on the 25 with under a minute left. The PAT went wide left, and Holmes kneeled out the clock, winning the game for Longmont 22-20. We have co-defensive playmakers of the game in this one, them being Kobe Dirksen and Gail Garcia. Dirksen was an extremely solid piece for Longmont during this game. The junior got himself a pass deflection and four tackles on the night, with a key stop with under 1 minute 30 seconds left. Dirksen also had some good work in the trenches with good positioning and footwork. Garcia also had a very good night, leading both teams in total tackles with 9, and keeping a lot of the Monarch players in check during this game, along with what may have been the game-saving stop on the two-point conversion. Garcia was a force to be reckoned with. The offensive playmaker of the game for the Trojans was Bryson Strandberg. Strandberg had a good night. Despite not scoring, he averaged 7 yards per reception with 9 total, which led the team. Including Russian, Strandberg had 67 yards, which was good for third most. However, what separated Strandberg and made him the offensive player of the game was his leg. His work during kickoffs and punting were key in making sure that Monarch had bad starts to their drives. In three kickoffs, Strandberg averaged a little over 55 yards, and he got 41 yards on his punt. Adding in his second half kickoff, Strandberg had 252 yards with his right leg on the night, which was key in the win. Defense made a good move being able to force them out of comfortable field goal range, says Strandberg. I just tried to encourage us all to talk to each other and make sure the defense knows that we got their back. We try to make sure that we get hype and that the crowd gets hype as well. The playmaker of the game for the Trojans is Cole Gaddis. Cole Gaddis is one of the reasons that I'm writing out of animals to compare guys to. He was, simply put, a bull. Gaddis may not be the flashiest player. He may not get the longest runs. His longest carry was for 11 yards. 
However, he was extremely consistent. In 22 carries for 82 yards, Gaddis had two tutties, and in two receptions, he got eight more yards. On defense, Gaddis also had six tackles, which made sure there was a consistent, positive presence on the field. There were a few times in the huddles where we were reflecting on weeks past, and we looked at today compared to last week. We just decided that we have to go out there and move them. It's a matter of our 11 moving their 11 and not letting them stop us. I mean, we wanted to end it on that last drive where they stopped us, which is not what we wanted. But our defense did exactly what we talked about at half, and we made them have a field goal. We came up big at the end. In summary, this was the cleanest, best refed, and quickest game I've seen all year. Neither team had a fumble or interception, and the first punt was in the third quarter. Both Monarch and Longmont were consistent with each having 18 and 21 first downs respectively, despite Monarch having 70 more total yards. This was honestly better than some NFL games I've watched recently. <coughs> Broncos, <coughs> Colts, ah, where did that come from? And both teams have bright futures. With underclassmen Holmes and Foote, along with Gaddis being a senior next year, Longmont should be in pretty decent shape moving forward. Monarch will be losing a little bit more, but with Asher Ewing moving into his senior season along with Mellish, they should be in good shape. Monarch, now 3-5, will face the 2-6 Greeley West Spartans in Greeley next week, while the 4-4 Longmont will square off against the also 4-4 Erie to see who will be number one in 4A League 2 standings, and who will be guaranteed a playoff spot. Thank you all for listening, and best of luck to the Longmont Trojans and the Monarch Coyotes for the rest of your seasons. I hope everyone listening has a great week, and I'll talk to you all next Tuesday. Peace. Thank you, Simon and Gideon. And now I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the rest of the tackle football recap and scores, starting off with a huge league matchup between Holy Family and Northfield. Holy Family runs away with this one, 48-6, thanks to a huge Huge performance from Rylan Cooney here, 23 of 34, 349 yards, four touchdowns, and no recorded interceptions. His best game of the year, honestly, in a week where it mattered a whole bunch. Um, On top of that, Ashton Erickson here, seven receptions, 113 yards, and three scores. Incredible performance on the receiving end. Holy Family trying to salvage their season a little bit here and give them a chance to make the playoffs. Holy Family now gets over 500 now and looks forward to Fort Morgan and Lincoln where they could potentially be 6 and 3 heading into the last week against Kennedy in which they also have a chance to go 7 and 3 but 6 and 3 7 and or 7 and 3 or 6 and 4 are probably good enough for the postseason. Northfield here a little bit of a scare I'd say as they have now lost 3 games in a row here losing to Vista Ridge Kennedy in a close one, and now Holy Family, and it doesn't get easier with Lutheran this next week. They will have to ramp it up against Fort Morgan, who looks like they're starting to finally kind of figure out what they need to do on offense, and then they need to beat Lincoln. And, you know, it'll be rare for a team to send, you know, three teams to league, but there is a chance in this league, Northfield, they just got to perform a little bit closer against Lutheran, I think, and they have to have confidence to take on Fort Morgan and Lincoln. Following that, there is also a game between Evergreen and Littleton. In this game, Tommy Poholski goes 17-21 for 260 yards and five scores. 
and Gabe Zimmer with four carries for 66 yards and two scores. Evergreen runs away with this one, 56 to Zill here. In other Saturday games, maybe not as investigative, Florence here just washes Woodland Park 39-0, basically guaranteeing league here. Wiggins takes care of Burlington 35-7. You have Del Norte losing to center 42-35. Highland beats the pinnacle 8-2. I'm not sure how accurate that is, but that would be a weird score if it was. Then in 3A action, Pueblo East continues their role. They 35 blank Canyon City. And then Pueblo West beats Falcon 42-6. In some closer, more substantial games, you do have Resurrection Christian getting back in the win column by the skin of their teeth against Severance, fending off a 16.4th quarter from Severance to win this game. Uh, Jaden Hoffman has a pretty solid stat line here going 11 of 17 for 152 yards and three touchdowns to an interception here. But, you know, Severance comes back too little, too late, honestly. And Resurrection Christian's touchdown in the final frame is going to be the difference here as Res Christian wins 28 to 22. Severance's season, you know, not as smooth of a start to 3A football as they maybe hoped. But definitely a lot to learn from and a really young team that could bring back a lot of talent this next year. In huge power ranking news, to be honest, or potential power ranking news, Valor Christian beats Rock Canyon 28-13. They enter the half up 21 to nothing here and basically ride that huge lead till the end. Rock Canyon just can't get too much going here. As, you know, they struggle to complete the pass. They struggle to run the ball, only going for 2.2 yards per carry. Granted, they did a pretty good job of limiting Valor here to 3.3 yards per carry. And also holding their offense a little bit lower. But, you know, a trick play gets by them. Trey Stott does throw a touchdown pass for 48 yards. And, you know, they they ultimately lose this game because Valor can just move the ball a little bit better than them. And they win, Valor that is, in the trenches to secure a 28 to 13 lead rock canyon with back-to-back losses they want to get back in the win column and that is something that they will probably do against castleview and then huge seeding implications against thunder ridge in the last week of the season but i don't know if they're in a spot to compete for league anymore at this point valor christian undefeated in league and it will come down i think to this game against thunder ridge that is going to be at halftime help so stay tuned for that. And now we are going to be talking about Simon and I going to be going a little bit back and forth here by round until we conclude with the girls flag football championship. This was the inaugural state tournament for this program where I want to say 12 teams were eligible for this tournament. If you won your invitational, you were invited and then based off of your regular season performance, as well as your performance at, you know, league or regionals or districts that would determine who else would make it so just to fill in where everyone was the number one seed in the bracket was Arvada West so they had a buy the number two seed I believe was Denver South here who also had a buy then three seed was Eagle Crest since they won Cherry Creeks or you know Cherry Creek School District 
uh, district. And then Chatfield was our four seed. All of those had a buy and would be awaiting the winner of games. So Simon is going to be talking about the left side of the bracket, which was Evergreen and Smoky Hill, Cherry Creek and Northfield. And he'll be up right after I recap some of these games over on the right side here. And just to familiarize those who aren't familiar with it, we do play seven on seven here in Colorado. Let's get more girls on the field. Love the opportunity aspect. And this did take place at UC Health Training Center where the Broncos practice. It was on the indoor facility. They kind of had like two fields set up. The fields are 60 yards long. So they went a little bit past the sidelines, at least from like a standard dimension kind of perspective. And they had like risers and stuff and we were able to walk around all the sidelines and stuff try to get some footage so stay tuned for the tiktoks of all of those highlights and stay tuned for this entire recap but yeah 7v7 pretty i'd say pretty standard uh there's no run zones so five yards from midfield and then five yards from the goal line you are not allowed to run the football in those areas you gotta pass it they were pass only so that is, you know, something to take into consideration when talking about these. But flag football in general is more of a passing sport than even regular f football, I would say, or tackle football, I should say. And so the very first game that I got to watch was Columbine versus Kennedy. Columbine put up a serious fight in the Jeffco and has been a steady program all year. They have a pretty tall team and they're pretty solid at flag pulling, I would say, as well. And they did not hesitate to get started as you know one of the initial well the first score of the game I should say was a deep bomb down the right side not quite down the sideline per se but down like the right seam and it connected this was like this was from the opposite 10 or 15 yard line and so this this would be like a 45 yard score for Columbine to jump up to a six to nothing league. Kennedy's defense holds holds tight and bats down the pass here um, on the conversion. And then after that, both these teams would kind of exchange this grind of sorts, you know, with batted down passes. A lot of runs too, honestly. Both these teams ran the ball very well with motion or Kennedy out of the backfield a little bit more. And Kennedy gets a huge shot in the arm from number thirty on that squad and i'm not sure if i typed this down right so forgive me if it's not quite accurate here but i want to say karina Maciel is is how it was said to me um i didn't get this until way later but anyways you know she was super athletic she hit a few spin moves and ripped off a really long run herself to get kennedy into what is basically the red zone i'd say and for Kennedy here they end up under pressure and the quarterback has to get rid of the ball and it's behind the receiver but she brings it in one-handed and extends for the pylon she breaks the plane here before the flag is pulled and Kennedy ties it up at six apiece here and you know there'd be a few big time deflections a few actually you know the pressure to the quarterback was really serious on both sides columbine i want to say that they had three sacks over the course of this game including one near the end that would force this game to go to overtime just because of the timing of it and the flagpole so you know both these teams go back and forth here lots of long runs lots of kind of 
weaving back and forth over the course of the entire field, making a giant S and things like that. But all in all, both these teams run dominant, but able to complete the passes when it matters. And I think that that can be said most of all for Kennedy here, as this game does go to overtime. Kennedy does force incompletions here, or Kennedy gets the ball first, actually, and they throw a dot over the middle here that is caught by the receiver, and she extends. Somehow doesn't get either flag pulled, as it's just like a miss pull here, and she extends. They don't get the two-point or one-point conversion here, and so they're only up 12-6, to six, and Columbine has a chance to respond here. And so Columbine's quarterback is kind of backpedaling, rolling out right. Great pressure applied by Kennedy here, and she throws to an open receiver, but it's a little high, and the ball gets tipped up in the air, and Kennedy intercepts it and walks off this game with a 12-6 victory. This would be one of the bigger upsets of this bracket for sure. I'm pretty sure Kennedy was the lower seed here. I had Columbine favored heading into this game, but, you know, Kennedy, they just you know, kind of, well, number 30 was a huge part of the equation for Kennedy here. But in addition to that, you know, Columbine, they just were missing flagpoles that I feel like based off what I've heard this season, I don't normally hear them miss. So that was a little bit interesting in this game and a huge reason why Kennedy would advance to the next round where they would eventually be facing Denver South, who is in that DPS district, so that would make for an interesting rematch of sorts. In the matchup that followed right after that, I would actually watch two overtime games to start my day. We had Denver East versus Eagle Crest. Now, this game was riddled with turnovers and interceptions as it was a constant kind of flood to the middle of the field and just hucking it, basically, it wasn't until overtime that we even got points. So, you know, the Eagle Crest secondary was forcing a lot of plays. Number five, especially, was able to jump some passes and had really solid verticality as well. But to start this game, you know, there were completions first. You know, Eagle Crest did start with the ball. They hit a really quick out here that almost gets them to the first down point, honestly before, you know, they eventually end up with a turnover on downs and Denver East gets their chance. They come out here with a quick run, but also eventually end up turning over on downs. It's not until the second drive of Eagle Crest where this pass gets tipped by a receiver just a little too tall for number 13 to reach and number three for Denver East, who was a very intense and solid athlete, makes a play on here and sets up Denver East deep in Eagle Crest territory. But they unfortunately take a sack, a huge loss for, you know, a huge loss on one play. And so on the next play, their quarterback, number 23, I want to say, finds number 19 on the outside who catches it. Great flag pull by Eagle Crest here to shot stop them about seven or eight yards short of the pylon here. But now with Denver East in the red zone, quarterback throws it up, and the ball gets jumped by Eagle Crest's quarterback slash safety, number 20, who kills this drive and saves Eagle Crest some trouble, but then they have to pull her out. She is a little gassed playing both ways, I could tell just a little bit, and Eagle Crest has the depth to afford it, but unfortunately, nothing really transpires for the Eagle Crest offense, and Denver East eventually gets the ball back. They run a jet sweep that earns them a first down before eventually getting 
intercepted and Eagle Crest gets to start within their own five. And number 20 connects with, I want to say this is, ooh, it's so hard to tell with the angles you're getting, but this was number 14, hits on the right side here, and she gets all the way up field to almost the no-run zone, a few yards outside of it, but on the very next play, number 11 for Denver East goes up, climbs the staircase, shows off that verticality that she has, and gets a sweet interception that is labeled as on the one-yard line, not quite a touchback. So Denver East, they come out and immediately throw an interception to number 14, who is has her flag pulled just on the no-run zone of the opposing side of the field. So on top of that, on the, the next Eagle Crest drive, I should say, number 20 tries to go deep to the end zone, but overthrows and is intercepted by number three, whose flag is pulled by number 20 again, so at least cleaning up her own mess. And after that, nothing really happens. We go to overtime here. It's like third down on the two-yard line for Eagle Crest here. Number 20 steps back. There's no pressure being applied by Denver East, which might have been a mistake because this quarterback just has plenty of time. She looks right and comes back left and hits the girl who snapped her the football here, or actually just one to the left who snapped the... No, no, it was the snapper here for the game winner in overtime. They hold Denver East without a score. And so Eagle Crest 2 or Eagle Crest Black, I'll say, because there was also Eagle Crest Red, that was the one that had the bye, would advance to the next round to face Chatfield. Now, on the other end of the field is where Simon was. And so Simon will recap those games right now. What's good? My name is Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V, and I'm going to go ahead and recap uh, this first-round matchup here between Evergreen and Smoky Hill here in the playoffs. And, um, I, I mean, this one was a pretty easy game. I mean, a lot of these games were pretty fast, and so let me go ahead and give you the lowdown here. Evergreen goes ahead and goes up but 6-0 to zero after a big touchdown pass. I'm talking about at least a 20-yard touchdown pass to go ahead and go up 6-0. to zero. Now, on the extra point, the out route was batted down, and so that was that. Smokey here will then try to go ahead and drive down the field, but a evergreen interception would go ahead and kill a promising drive there, and uh, a long run after a catch by number 12 would go ahead and put evergreen up 12-0, to zero, capitalizing off of that early interception. And so here we go, Smoky Hill back on offense. They're trying to move the ball. And then number 16 of Evergreen goes ahead and jumps the route here and houses this one for a big-time pick six. And just like that, Evergreen takes a commanding 19-0 lead after getting the extra point here. And then to go ahead and cap off basically cap off the first round matchup here you know number 16 would go ahead and jump another route and get another pick six here putting evergreen up by four scores i believe they're up 27 to zero and so there you go evergreen goes ahead and eventually takes care of smoky hill and they move on to the next round to play eagle crest who had a bye or one of the eagle crest teams who had a bye 
Alright, what's good, y'all? It's Coach V, and I was able to watch the first-round matchup between Cherry Creek and Northfield. They are actually on the same side of the bracket uh, as that Evergreen and Smoky Hill first-round game as well. But the winner of this game would go on and face Arvada West, who had a bye. And so let's go ahead and get into it. Um, honestly, to start this game, there were a lot of big-time defensive plays. Number five for Cherry Creek, probably the tallest player out there uh, here this last Saturday, got a huge interception here to go ahead and stop a Northfield drive where they basically drove into the red zone here and were on the goal line, but that interception was huge for them. Um, after that, Cherry Creek, I mean, like I said, they wouldn't be able to get too much going here. They would basically go three and out, but on defense, number 16 for them will get a big sack here, and then uh, number 12 for Cherry Creek would get another big interception stopping that drive as Northfield basically drove all the way down into the red zone just for that to happen, and so like I said, great defense all around here. Now, Cherry Creek, they are also struggling to play as Northfield just has a very good flag pulling here, and so a Cherry Creek drive basically stalls out at midfield and that's where Northfield would take over but like I said Northfield wouldn't get too much going either and so they would go three now and at that point it was basically halftime so like I said very big defensive battle but here we go um, Northfield they got the ball they are driving number 10 for Northfield makes a big catch and a great run after the catch to go ahead and put Northfield at uh, midfield after that big chunk play but Cherry Creek's number 24 gets a big time interception to go ahead and end that drive and give Cherry Creek the ball here now at this point they are about at midfield now Cherry Creek they go ahead and run a couple plays here get up to the goal line uh or yeah goal line red zone you know whichever and then they go ahead and finally convert here they find a receiver over the middle it was a tough catch for a touchdown kind of in traffic but a great catch by this receiver uh they don't get the extra point but just like that they go ahead and break the defensive struggle here the defensive battle here and go up six to zero here in the playoffs now northfield they get the ball here um, but they are just not able to, they're just not able to put together a couple plays here to go ahead and drive down the field like they were before. Unfortunately, those drives ending in turnovers in the red zone. And so a couple plays in, you know, they go ahead and turn it over to Cherry, basically going three and out, but Cherry Creek can't get too much going. I mean, at this point, they're just running the ball. And so they eventually go ahead and give it back to Northfield going three and out as well. Uh, but Northfield, you know, they're trying to put together a drive. They only need one score to tie it. And then it comes down to the extra point uh, to basically decide whether they win or not or go into overtime as a couple other games were going into overtime. Um, but unfortunately, just a couple of drops, just like some tough drops here, uh, not bad passes at all, will kind of kill the vibes of this as they would go ahead and turn it back over to Cherry Creek here in the fourth quarter. And at this point, you know, Cherry Creek, they just basically run out the clock. They get a first down here. That helps a lot. And just like that, Cherry Creek would go ahead and win and move on to play Arvada West, who had a bye. 
and on to the second round just to familiarize the matchups in the second round here that we will be talking about. Eagle Crest Black advanced to face Chatfield. Eagle Crest Red eagerly would wait to face Evergreen. Arvada West would get a chance to face Cherry Creek. And Denver South would host Kennedy in the opening round. And that's the game that I'm going to talk about first is D South versus Kennedy. Now, Denver South, they just seem to be on another level in this game. And the scoring was very fast back and forth. I could hardly keep up with recording the plays and taking the notes because scoring was happening so fast. But, you know, after an initial 6-6 to start, Denver South, they get a quick score here, a quick slant on the inside from number 14 to number 17. That was a score. And then Kennedy, number 30, rips off a really big play here that I could barely catch the tail end of, but it was from their own side of the field. And eventually, well, Denver South scores on one play on the very next drive. Couldn't even catch that. But number two for Denver South here, Tay Williams was just a monster on every side of the field. Kennedy eventually, they get the ball back. Incomplete pass to start the drive. But then a little bit of a tip drill. Number 27 comes down with it. And Kennedy runs their way to the other side of the field. And a deep pass finds number 30, who gets her flag pulled just short of the end zone. But then the quarterback for Kennedy here evades the pressure and finds her girl, number 30, in the back of the end zone, who fully extends for this catch. And at this point, it is 12 to 12 for Denver South on one play again. They just go deep down the left sideline to number two, who rips off the rest of the yards all at once. Kennedy with the ball back and lots of time to throw, kind of just throws it up to their best player and gets intercepted by number two on this Denver South side here. And she's just a one-person army on this Denver South team. In the first half, she had two interceptions. One was a pick six and also had a catch-and-run touchdown deep down the left sideline. That was only in the first half. So if takeover mode was a real person, it would be number two here. On a later drive, she really climbs the staircase for a catch over the middle, but that would take us into halftime. Kennedy with the ball here, they throw, and number two intercepts with Denver South's back against the wall here in the red zone. And right after getting the interception here, number two does get a handoff on a jet sweep, pulls off basically like a horse gallop swim move of sorts, and Go, pulls the ball over the defender's head during this swim to avoid the flagpole and scores the touchdown. Denver South's offense, while Kennedy was able to score, Denver South's offense was just unstoppable and was just, you know, a, a complete force that could not be reckoned with here. So, you know, Denver South would go on to win that matchup and advance to the semifinal round where Simon will be able to fill you in on that side of the bracket. That game is between Chatfield and Eagle Crest Black. All right, what's good, y'all? It's Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V, and I went ahead and switched fields here. I covered a lot of the Field 1 games here, went over to Field 2 to catch the second-round matchup between Chatfield, who had a bye, 
and Eagle Crest to the other Eagle Crest team that did win uh, what sounded like a close one and a good game. And so here we go. Uh, this game <laughs> started out as a track meet. And I'm, I'm going to have to apologize right here because I had some technical difficulties with what I used to take notes, which is my phone. It acting a fool. But basically, Chatfield and Eagle Crest were going blow for blow. A lot of great touchdowns to start here, you know, in the first half. And so going into the second half, I believe Chatfield was up by a score here. Uh, it was like three, it was anywhere between like three scores to two scores here. I wasn't sure about the extra points, but a lot of fireworks as it just felt like as Chatfield took a shot downfield and would get a good touchdown, you know, Eagle Crest would go ahead and get to midfield and then go throw a strike over the middle for another touchdown. So a lot of back and forth. And so we're going to go ahead and take place here in the second half here. Where to go ahead and summarize it, I mean, Chatfield, they're already up by a score. They would go ahead and extend that lead with another nice drive here. And then Eagle Crest at this point would basically have a chance to, you know, cut into the lead here in the third quarter. But number 22 for Chatfield was ball hawking this game. She already had one really good interception uh, in the first half to kill an Eagle Crest drive, which, which would allow Chatfield to be up by a score going into half. But she would get another interception here. Uh, and it was a nice one here. The Eagle Crest, they would go ahead and take a deep shot down the field here, down the right sideline. But 22 at safety would go ahead and jump this one and kill that drive. Uh, and she would get a couple more interceptions. Another one, I believe, here in the second half as this Chatfield defense played excellent football. I don't believe they allowed another score this half as their offense kept it rolling here. And so basically, like I said, Chatfield would go ahead and shut down this Eagle Crest team playing great defense. Shout out to number 22. She must have had at least three interceptions here in this game. Plus more here as Chatfield would go ahead and beat Eagle Crest here by a couple scores and move on to the semifinals to play the winner of that Denver South versus Kennedy game. What's good, y'all? It's Coach V here. Let me go ahead and talk about this second round matchup between Evergreen and Eagle Crest. Um, they're listed here as Eagle Crest 1, and so I'm going to go ahead and refer to them as that, as they are on the other side of the bracket. Eagle Crest 2 is on the other side here, the opposite side. The winner of this second round matchup would go ahead and play the winner of the Arvada West versus Cherry Creek matchup here in the semis. But for now, let's go ahead and talk about the second round here. To start Eagle Crest, they would go ahead and uh, start with the ball. And they would go three and out thanks to some pretty good defense by Evergreen. Uh, Eagle Crest would take a couple shots downfield, you know, showing their ability to get vertical with it. But Evergreen was there for it. Now, Evergreen, they tried to put together a good drive here, but uh, fantastic interception and in traffic by number 11 of Eagle Crest. Goes ahead and kills that and gets Eagle Crest set back up here. But unfortunately, a couple dropped passes here would result in Evergreen getting the ball back after a three and out. Now, Evergreen, they're trying to get something going here. They get a nice end around run here by number 12. That is enough to get them to midfield. Then they go ahead and get into the red zone after a couple of nice um, pass plays here. But unfortunately, 
a couple plays in here. You know, they go ahead. They try to throw it over the middle. It looks like it's a slant play, but it is dropped slash tipped. I mean, it's kind of tipped up in the air. And then the receiver behind the evergreen one um, on the intended target almost has the chance to go ahead and catch this one. I believe that's number 12 who almost uh, is able to catch this one, but it's kind of a tough angle. And so she unfortunately drops it and Eagle Crest gets a nice stand here, uh, keeping it at 0-0 with the chance to go ahead and drive down the field. But Eagle Crest, I mean, they take a couple shots downfield and it's just not working out for them. I mean, Evergreen, they're there to cover it. And so there's a lot of incompletions here that eventually result in Evergreen taking over without a minute left here. Um, with a minute left here, Evergreen would go ahead and throw a nice deep shot to number 12 here. Um, she just beats her uh, defender and gets open, gets a huge chunk play that goes ahead and puts them in the red zone. Like, they were starting in their own red zone, and then that play went for about 30-plus yards and puts them now in the red zone here with a chance to score here. But unfortunately, they go ahead and they throw a fade route. It was a great route by the receiver and whatnot, a great throw by the quarterback. But the receiver is not quite able to bring this one in here. Definitely a catch. I mean, it was a drop. It was definitely a catchable ball. And so they go into halftime with it being 0-0. Zero zero. Uh, what I heard from Evergreen, you know, walking past them uh, was that, you know, they're definitely frustrated and they knew that, hey, they got to finish off drives like that. That was the right play. It was one-on-one, -on -one, great route, great throw. You got to finish those drives. Uh, along with a couple other drives here, a previous drive where they did drive all the way into the red zone and then came out with nothing on that tipped pass. And so there you go. So to start the third quarter, you know, Evergreen, they got to finish drives. They know that. Here we go. Number 12 gets the party started with a long run on a sweep to go ahead and get them across midfield and then evergreen decide to dial it up and go back to her have her run a corner route here and she catches a nice touchdown in the back corner of the end zone and just like that evergreen leads six to zero here so there you go they don't get the extra point Eagle Crest are not out of it, but they need to find some sort of rhythm. And unfortunately, they just don't find it on this drive as number five for Evergreen gets a big time interception and not only intercepts it, but returns it to midfield. So Evergreen, they have a short field to work with here. Um, at least, well, half the field to work with here. And so here we go, Evergreen, they're going to get it to their playmakers, and that's what they do. They go ahead and they drop back, number 10 dropping back, and she finds number 12 down the left sideline, a strike here into the Eagle Crest defense. And that goes for a long touchdown as they now lead 12-0 to zero here going into the fourth quarter. No extra points here, which is interesting, but they're still up by two scores. Now, Eagle Crest at this point, they're definitely feeling the pressure here as it is now in the fourth quarter. And they are now down two scores, but they do have the ball here. But, I mean, they're struggling to get any big plays here evergreen allowing a lot of underneath stuff but making the flag pulls when possible and then they're just not allowing anything deep they're taking deep shots but it is well covered there and so evergreen would eventually go ahead and stop them on downs and they would have a chance to drive and basically put the nail in the coffin and that's what they do as this touchdown throw um they go ahead and drive down into the red zone and then they throw another touchdown to the corner of the 
end zone again. Great throw by number 10, who's absolutely on fire. Just came alive here in the second half. And so just like that, Evergreen now leads 19-0 after the extra point. And at that point, it is over. Evergreen is moving on to the semifinals to play the winner of that Arvada West Cherry Creek game. And then in the semifinals, you know, you have a chance to go to state. And so... Great performance here by Evergreen. I really got to shout out their quarterback, number 10. She was on top of it. Great timing, great throws. I'll always remember that strike down that left sideline to number 12. You know, just great recognition there. And then just a great play by 12 here, who has also been making a lot of plays here in this tournament. So there you go there. And the game that I got to see on the other side of the field here that would determine who would be in the semifinal was Arvada West and Cherry Creek. These two teams had played a few times, you know, and Arvada West for the most part seemed to, you know, have like a little bit of a mental edge, but going into this game, you know, Creek starts off, doesn't really get anything going and Arvada West comes out and hits a nice crossing route over the middle to number 21. She had an incredible day to get to the other side of the field. But after crossing midfield, this Arvada West attack stalled out and number five for Cherry Creek, who had to be like six foot four or five, maybe she she gets a pick here on just a mistimed throw is what it looked like and gets Creek the ball right back. Creek doesn't really do anything with this and Arvada West ends up with the ball and around midfield. The quarterback drops back to pass, but number 16 with an excellent flagpole sack here puts them back at essentially midfield. So Arvada West, after losing a few yards, comes out here. Pump fake gets the flag puller to freeze for a second, and the quarterback finds number 21. Their connection over the middle especially is just well-timed and excellent ball placement in front of the safety, but past that person that was covering her to get them inside of like the 10-yard line basically. But they end up not converting and creak gets the football on their on their very you know back line here they start off with a quick hit and nothing really comes of it and Arvada West ends up with the ball once again on their own five yard line and on this play quarterback drops back and is trying to hit number 16 over the middle I just don't think that she sees the defender here who jumps the route number six for Creek and sets up Creek with excellent field position on like the 15 yard line going in Creek eventually gets to the no run zone and on fourth down rolls out right here and just misses her receiver by uh, maybe an arm's reach. I think that part of it is just an experience thing and just a chemistry thing. But Arvada West, they get the ball back, quick hitter to number one who races ahead for about 10 yards. She has great acceleration and then they do one of their signature plays, I would say, where it's a snap, handoff to the running back, reverse to a slot back of sorts, and number nine shows absurd body control. Make sure to check out the TikTok for that one, where she's within like three, maybe even an inch of stepping out of bounds for like three whole strides, but maintains her composure and balance, and that would be the game-winning score eventually since Creek has no response and throws an ill-fated 
interception, or actually I should say, you know, throws a, a desperation pass that number 21 bats and leads to Arvada West victory and guarantee to make the semifinal against Evergreen. What's good, y'all? It's Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V. And this will be the last game that I will recap and talk about here. We got Arvada West versus Evergreen. Whoever wins this goes to the first ever Colorado Girls High School Flag Football State Championship with a chance to be the first ever state champs, obviously. And so it's a matchup between Arvada West and Evergreen. Uh, two prolific offenses, at least Evergreen's offense, has been rolling, scoring over three scores here in the first couple rounds. Arvada West obviously having that bye and getting by Cherry Creek uh, just barely here getting into this game. And so here we go. Arvada West starts with the ball. They put together a nice long drive a lot of short passes with a good mix of runs you know how it is very to the book and they go ahead and end that one cap it off with a nice pass over the middle from uh, their quarterback number 18 to number one and just like that they would take a six to zero lead they wouldn't get the extra point now evergreen they're trying to put something nice together as well but great flag pulling from marvada west would go ahead and result in a stop as they would go ahead and take over here to start the second quarter now to start this quarter number 16 gets a nice gain on a sweep on a sweep play for about 15 plus yards then after that their quarterback 18 rolls out and throws a deep bomb here and goes ahead and get finds a receiver who puts them basically on the five yard line here in the red zone then after that they would go ahead and run it to number nine she would make a couple people miss looking shifty out there here on this outside run uh it looks like she broke somebody's ankles uh from behind you'd have to see the play to believe it but a couple of big splash plays and that flashy play by number nine would go ahead and put Arvada West up 13 to zero after a nice completion on that extra point. Now Evergreen, they would go ahead and put together a great drive thanks to a couple of runs. But then they go ahead and run two pass plays that are unsuccessful here. Uh, just one was overthrown, I want to say. And then the other one, uh, the receiver was not quite able to bring it in. And so... Unfortunately, before they could get a chance to run two more plays here, they are unable to as it is halftime. And so, uh, not a great spot to be in if you're Evergreen because Arvada West would start on offense here to start the second half. I, I believe I must have misspoke. But to start the game, I believe Evergreen actually got the ball, but they won three and out. And so, Arvada West would be the ones uh, to get something going there in that game. But anyways... Arvada West, they got the ball. Uh, they are moving it down the field, but they stall out near midfield. And so that's where Evergreen would start here. But unfortunately, they're just not able to put anything together. A lot of incompletions here. Uh, just not quite in sync here as Arvada West is tightening up around that middle. Just not giving the quarterback a lot of places to go. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Arvada West actually dropped a couple would-be interceptions on that drive. But regardless, they will get the ball, forcing a three and out. Now, Arvada West, they go ahead and drop back. Number 18, she dials one up downfield, down the left sideline. And it is caught by her receiver. 
she unfortunately is stopped just short. They rule her down on the one. Um, it was a great throw, a great catch too. She stumbled and then she would recover really quickly and accelerate. Would almost get in, but like I said, uh, down on the one here. Doesn't matter as Arvada West would go ahead and throw a great touchdown pass to the left side uh, for another score. And they would go ahead and get another extra point here as they now lead 19-0 to here. A commanding lead, especially in these games where time goes by so quickly. And um, I believe Evergreen eventually here in the fourth quarter will get a touchdown uh, down the right side here. Nice corner out. But... At this point, Arvada West, they're already up three scores, and they would basically run out this clock. Uh, they would actually go ahead and get down to the red zone and with another chance to add on to the score, but they decide not to, and they go ahead and take a knee here in victory formation as Arvada West punches their way into the first ever state title game here against the winner of that Chatfield versus uh denver south game and boy was it a wild one on the other side of the bracket here in this denver south versus chatfield game chatfield they come out looking deep hit a quick pass on the left here but eventually rip one off uh denver south here that 14 to 2 connection gets them out to an early lead here and they are up six to nil. Now, Chatfield, they get the ball back and they love usually running pitch. And so they run a fake pitch here. The quarterback goes deep. The intended receiver is definitely supposed to be, I believe that's number 19, but number 14 accelerates from the seam here, the opposite seam, I should say, and sets them up in the red zone. Then Chatfield quarterback has a couple of pump fakes before finding her girl number 19 in the back of the end zone to make it 6-6. Now Chatfield back with the ball again at about midfield. Let's one rip down the right side, but number two for Denver South is there to intercept the ball here. Not there's there's a lot of action in this game, but it's super back and forth here. And one of the craziest plays that I may have ever seen in flag football eventually occurs here. Chatfield, they end up with the ball again, and it's still a tie game between these two teams, mind you, heading into halftime. And it's, oh my gosh, it, it's just a nuts game here. And what ends up happening is Chatfield completes a pass. It is a regular little dump off here. And the running back is, you know, scrambles from the left side to the right side of the field. And at one point is surrounded by four Raven defenders here. Four girls, so eight arms or, you know, four arms at the bare minimum, if all of them are reaching with one, all reach. And number 18 hits a spin move and free doesn't hear the whistle and keeps running all the defenders froze and 18 manages to take this the rest of the way this play started from their own five yard line and so this would be a shoot 55 yard touchdown run because i mean it was a swing pass but it came back around the other side of the field and it was just nuts and denver south here they try and tie this game up here but Chatfield just makes a few interceptions down the stretch here. Number seven was one of Chatfield's safeties. Do not try and test her deep. She will just dominate here. And Chatfield, they're 
trying to really put the nail in the coffin here. But the Denver South defense holds strong in the red zone, and they get another chance to try and tie this game here. And so they have a quick hitter up the middle that gets them to the other side of midfield. But then the quarterback just doesn't see the linebacker sitting in the middle of the field, tries to look her off, but number five for Chatfield makes a great interception. Now, this probably should be where the game ends, but Chatfield, they do a, you know, a few plays. They get sacked a couple of times, and Denver South has one more chance at tying this game up. And so number 14 takes her time, hucks it deep, finds her receiver at about midfield, number six here. And so they have time to run a few more plays here. But Chatfield, they eventually force a turnover on downs and they hit a toss left where the tailback just shows tremendous burst, keeps her feet in bounds for the first down. And that would be the concluding play for Chatfield's victory to punch their ticket not only to the championship, but to a rematch of the Jeffco championship against Arvada West, which I will have full details of. So starting off, Arvada West is gonna have the ball and they get a jet sweep to number nine, cuts back across the grain here for about nine yards. But you know, there's a, another jet sweep, but this time it's only for like three or four yards. On the next play, the quarterback takes a little too long and projects her throw, and that is intercepted by number one of Chatfield and housed. A penalty forces a long conversion, but they still convert and jump out eight to nothing without having even been on offense. So Arvada West already in a tough spot here. And so on their next drive, drive number two, they have a couple of short throws. Number nine reaches the edge on a draw and gets just shy of midfield. And then there's a drop on a crossing route that could have gotten a first. And on fourth down, they do throw to 21. Um, well, they do a double throw to 21. So they toss it behind the quarterback to 21 who has the option to throw, but instead bursts upfield for a first. And so they have first and goal from the 25 yard line. Number nine catches a dump off and gains a few yards. And then there's a run that goes all the way to about the eight. On third down, a penalty forces a fourth down from the 10 yard line and, a, and the flag is pulled just short of the end zone and is a turnover on downs. Chatfield on their first drive, starting at their five yard line, they have a run that goes almost to the no run zone and then a run to number four that goes just shy of midfield. There's a pass to the snapper number 23 for the first down and some. They continue running all the way to about the nine yard line. On third down, they have an incomplete pass and on fourth and goal, they end with a delay of game here. Um, and you know, following that, the pass does get completed, but it is short of the touchdown with those extra yards. Otherwise, I think that the play design would have been a touchdown potentially. Now, Arvada West here, they have the ball at the five. The quarterback heaves it to 21, who makes a spectacular highlight grab in double coverage to flip field to the 15-yard line or so going in. They try a double pass after a timeout and it falls incomplete and that concludes the half with Chatfield going up eight to nothing. Now Chatfield, they start with the ball in this second half. They have a run and then Arvada West gets an interception and they have the ball on the 24 yard line going in. 
They try some jet sweeps and reverses that end up not really going anywhere, and a short pass over the middle sets up 4th and 12. Now, from the 12-yard line going in, they try and pass, but the pass is dropped on the end zone. It's a really tough throw and catch, honestly, where the quarterback just has to bring it down just a hair, but it was behind the linebackers in front of the safety. Tight window. Receiver barely gets a glove on it. Doesn't quite work, and there is a turnover on downs. Now, Chatfield, with a ball on their own five, they hit a quick pass that gets them almost to midfield, and then... There's a pass interference call that leads to a first down on the other side of the field. Quarterback finds number 17 in the backfield on a little swing, who jets up and away for the score, putting Chatfield up by two scores now in this game. Arvada West, they have a drop, then a tough throw, and on third and 21, it's looking tough. But they try and hit this deep in route, and that also gets dropped. I put right here, I think Arvada West has lost their mojo, and in turn, maybe this game. Um, there's another pass here that goes just shy of the first down mark, and it is a turnover on downs. Now, Chatfield with the ball in their own five. They have a run for 10 yards and a false start, and then there's an interception by number 24 by Arvada West in the no-run zone opposite side of the field. So Arvada West, they got to ride those momentum, and they got to score quick. And so on first down, they have a great pass to number 12, who almost gets to the score. And then there's a double pass that stopped short at the one, and then a short pass to number 21 over the middle for a score at the two-minute mark. And so Chatfield has the ball leading 14-7 to with a hair under two minutes. There's a short run, and then a pass that goes quite literally through a player's hands who wasn't quite ready for the pass. And also, Chatfield gets a little lucky here that Arvada West wasn't quite expecting it themselves, and it doesn't get intercepted. On third and 20-ish, there's a toss that hits the turf, and on fourth down, an incomplete pass. So Arvada West, 45 seconds left on the five-yard line. This is what stories are made of. Who wants it more? This Chatfield defense, who's been playing spectacular all game, or this Arvada offense that really, really feels confident in their chance to capture this game. And so they run a reverse that ends in a flagpole. Then there's a pass between two receivers that falls incomplete. And on third and 25, there's a short pass. And on fourth down, there's a pass to number 21 for the first down. And that goes all the way to the other side of the field. Arvada West hurries up and they heave one deep and it gets all the way to the three yard line before the flag is pulled. Well, the, co the completion is at the three yard line and the receiver lunges forward, but the flag is pulled at just, oh my, I don't even know if it was the one yard line, it was so close. And time expires. Chatfield becomes your very first girls, Colorado girls flag football state champion. And in turn, they become the first team to have both a boys tackle football title and a girls flag football title. Huge congratulations to all of the teams and organizations that participated in this. There was plenty of schools who didn't make this state tournament, but I bet that they'll get better with more practice. And kudos, especially to the lot of teams that did make, you know, Eagle Crest with two squads that were there, Smoky Hill, Cherry Creek, all representing that Cherry Creek Public Schools. You got Chatfield, Evergreen, Arvada West, and Columbine, all representing Jeffco. 
obviously for you know dps you have kennedy denver east denver south and northfield that all made it and all played really competitive games as well some even against each other right so Huge kudos to all the teams who did qualify for the tournament. Huge kudos to all the teams who, you know, made it to where they were, whether it was first, second, third, or the final round. Congratulations to Arvada West for being the best team in the regular season, making it all the way to the postseason and fighting. But a special congratulations to Chatfield. This is so important for not only Colorado football, but just football in general. Flag football is going to continue to grow. There's no avoiding it. It's on the NAI level. Please tune into us in the spring when we cover that so you can learn more about those opportunities. It's also at junior colleges at this point. There's Olympic programs. There's U.S. flag. There's national teams and international teams as well that compete in flag football. It is here. It is now. Colorado is finally catching up to a lot of states that we cover, and you'll learn a lot about it if you listen to us in the spring. But, like, Florida has been really big with flag football and arguably had, you know, the greatest quarterback to play flag football ever potentially. They have a bunch of college teams out there. The KCAC and the Sun Conference are the two pioneering conferences, I would say, for the collegiate level on the NAI level where players can get scholarships uh, especially multi-sport athletes who are looking to fill in that last gap of partial scholarships partial for flag partial for basketball partial for academic boom full ride just like that so consider all the opportunities get those girls work in here in Colorado to you know be next level players the talent is definitely there the athlete the athletes are here just like they are for tackle football. The athletes are here for flag football. We're a mile above. There was a collegiate coach from Kansas Wesleyan that was able to attend. So, well, I shouldn't say A, the coach of Kansas Wesleyan's flag football team was able to attend. It is here. The opportunities are here. I highly encourage all Coloradans to learn about it, both in support and interest of the sport of football, but also for those around you and for those opportunities for you know, the next generation of football players and for a generation that will have an opportunity, these young women here who will be able to shine and have this opportunity to play college ball on a level like we've never seen before. So now that I'm off my soapbox, just going to give one more congratulations to Chatfield and shout out the Denver Broncos and NFL flag for helping put all of this together and shout out Coach Fee for all of the help covering this. Coming up next, we will have Playmakers of the Week and power rankings. So stay tuned just right after the break. Welcome back listeners. And we are back here talking about our playmakers of the week brought to you by Code Red Coaching, where the grind to greatness starts with the mind. Find out more about Code Red Coaching at coderedcoaching.com or go ahead and call today to set up an appointment, 720-979-1914. That's 720-979-1914 or coderedcoaching.com today. And thank you so much for bringing us our Playmakers of the Week here, where we are going to go through the candidates on the 1 through 5A level, and then we're going to make a decision here. So on the 5A level, let's go ahead and start here where we have a few good options here. Solomon Latimer here is the representative for Dory here. 
eight receptions for 169 yards and four touchdowns in a 47 to 20 victory over Westminster. That's one way to get notice here and be a playmaker of the week candidate. You also have Sam Ballas here, or maybe Bias here, from Arapahoe High School who recorded six tackles and an interception in Arapahoe's 16-12 win over Cherokee Trail. That could spell the end of Cherokee Trail's season, but especially helps Arapahoe stay on track to make the postseason. Last but not least, I'm going to go ahead and nominate Gavin Bebick here out of Valor Christian High School, who in a win over Rock Canyon, recorded nine tackles and one for loss here. Just being, I'd say, the leader of this defensive line unit that really dominated the Jaguars this past weekend. On the 4A level here, we got a few quarterbacks and a tailback here. Brandon Dorman leading the charge, going eight touchdowns to one interception for 508 yards in a 59-7 win over Cheyenne Mountain. This would also mark his 40th touchdown pass of the season. And another great performance, this one against a league opponent here, is Giselle Riley IV goes 16 of 26 for 312 yards and three touchdowns to no interceptions through the air, but also adds on another 17 carries for 104 yards and two scores on the ground in a critical 49-41 win over Dakota Ridge that all but punches Golden's ticket to the postseason. And then last but not least, have to shout out here Benjamin Mishke here of Centaurus. 29 carries, 270 yards, and three touchdowns in a 42-32 win over Thornton. Moving along the classifications here in 3A, the eyewitness one is Xavier Ramirez here. 17 carries, 126 yards, and two touchdowns in a statement 36-7 win over Northridge on the road in Greeley. Got to see this in person, including the 44-46 yard run that he ripped off, shedding quite a few tackles, always getting them the yards when they needed them, and the ability to punch it in. Not to mention a two-point conversion to his name as well. So like 14 total points in that game. Continuing, we have Keaton Smith of the Summit Tigers. Summit getting a 28-18 win over Palisade, and you don't do that without somebody who's able to make a tackle on this vicious running attack that Palisade has. Keaton Smith was exactly that guy. 20 tackles and a forced fumble in that win over the Bulldogs for the Tigers. Massive performance here for Keaton Smith. Rylan Cooney here out of Holy Family High School, getting this season back on track here and a little bit more under control. And he shows lots of control in this 48-6 win over Northfield, going 23-34 of 34 for 349 yards and four touchdowns to no interceptions here. So absolute great play here by Holy Family. And, you know, this keeps their not only their season alive, but really gives them a good shot at making the postseason. On the 2A level here, I have a few guys here. Tyler Lavoie is one of them. Eight tackles and a 65-yard pick six for the Titans as they topple Inglewood 48-12 and remain unbeaten and number one for the power rankings. Go ahead and stay tuned for that right after this. Also on the 2A level, I'm going to put down Corbin Miller here from the Academy. 
He had 18 total tackles, six tackles for loss, and three sacks in Academy's bludgeoning of Fort Lupton, probably eliminating them for good at a chance at making the postseason. The Academy themselves also probably securing a top eight seed, potentially. Depends on their game with Eaton, but putting them in as good of a position as anyone could ask. Then, last but not least, from Bennett here, Tristan Kronk. Three receptions, 132 yards, and three scores in their 50-14 win over Platte Valley, also all but eliminating Platte Valley's chance of making the postseason. And last but certainly not least, in 1A, we have a few candidates here. Uh, two quarterbacks slash running backs, I guess, depending on how you view Hayden Moreno of North Fork here, throwing a perfect five of five for 115 yards and two passing touchdowns but what he was able to do on the ground as well as he ran the rock for 155 yards and four touchdowns on only nine carries in that win over Olathe very impressive for Hayden here the other quarterback here not to be outdone goes 31 of 41 for 663 yards and eight touchdowns to one pick as Estes Park's very own Rylan Reitz wills this team in a win over the Manual Thunderbolts, 66-30 to once again. And then we have a defensive player here, Tell Wade, 10 tackles, 2.5 tackles for loss, and a sack in this 20-14 to win over Yuma. It's worth mentioning that the Ray Eagles defensive unit only allowed 7 of those 14 total points over another top five team in that Yuma squad and tell Wade at the front of the charge of this defensive effort here. 10 tackles at the end position is crazy, but also to do what he was doing in the run and in the pass game is just, I mean, that's why he's a division one player. He's going to Wyoming. So keep an eye on tell Wade. Now let's go ahead and announce the winners here of playmaker of the week and we'll just bounce off the wall here starting at 1a 1a this is a tale of things to come because how are you supposed to choose over eight touchdowns rylan reeds here is my pick for playmaker of the week on the 1a level i mean eight touchdowns 663 yards there's some schools that literally don't throw for that many yards or touchdowns in an entire season uh, which is their fault for scheme, but Rylan Reitz just doing it all, averaging a very solid amount of yards per attempt, per completion, and you know trying to will this Estes Park team into that last spot in the postseason. Now, moving to 2A here, I'm going to have to go with Tristan Kronk. There's that inner receiver bias for me there. Three receptions, 132 yards, three receiving touchdowns, all these teams had really big wins here. I'm going to go with Bennett's because they are the most on the bubble out of all of these squads. And this win will go a very long way towards trying to get them that 16th spot. Now, this next one in 3A is not so much about making it on the bubble, but it is about a huge league win and a vengeance win, I would say, from last year. So I'm going to go ahead and give it to Keaton Smith of Summit here. 
20 tackles is pretty absurd and a forced fumble in a close divisional you know league game over palisade especially a palisade attack that just runs the ball super effectively you need somebody to step up and that's exactly what keaton smith did transitioning to the 4a level if you recall on the 1a playmaker of the week i said it's a telling of things to come i just cannot choose context matters for those other two performances i also want to shout out olsen cape olsen that is a ponderosa who did record 30 tackles absolutely absurd in that win over far northeast however Braden dorman's eight touchdowns to one interception 508 yards in a big 59 to 7 win over cheyenne mountain and like i said part of that is also the context of reaching 40 touchdown passes not a very big club here in Colorado of quarterbacks who've done that. And, you know, he'd like to be one of only three quarterbacks to ever eclipse 50 touchdown passes. He, I mean, another eight touchdown game would definitely make that happen. But regardless, that game puts him in a fantastic spot to do exactly that. And it also gives him the driver's seat on playmaker of the week. And last but not least, in 5A, I'm going to crown Solomon Latimer here. Eight catches, 169 yards, and four receiving touchdowns in that 47-20 win over Westminster. So, just to run through the list here again, 1A, Ryland reads the quarterback out of Estes Park. Eight touchdown passes, 660 yards. In 2A, we got the receiver Tristan Kronk of Bennett here three catches 130 yards three receiving touchdowns and a dub Keaton Smith 20 tackles and a forced fumble for the Summit Tigers in 4A Braden Dorman's eight touchdown 500 yard performance and Solomon Latimer in 5A with the eight catch 169 yard four touchdown performance for the Doherty Spartans once again those playmakers of the week are brought to you by Code Red Coaching and now let's go ahead and jump into our most controversial segment every week here. And let's go ahead and talk power rankings. I'm going to mimic what Coach V did last week and start with 5A here. And let's go ahead and start at number 10 where we have Rock Canyon here. And, you know, small quote, tough loss to Valor, but it definitely could have been worse. They only moved back one spot here. That was following a 28 to 13 loss. And the team that is going to end up leapfrogging them here is Mountain Vista here at the number nine spot here. They did beat Rock Canyon last week and then with a win over Castleview and another Rock Canyon loss, that'll put them right here at number nine. At number eight, we got Fairview here. Fairview, probably the biggest chance to drop out of the top 10 depending on how this game against fossil ridge goes that is a potential game of the week candidate here but regardless whoever is in charge of that northern league here is going to find themselves in the top 10 at number seven here pine creek following you know a maybe a disappointing-esque loss to regis jesuit but one where you know the offense doesn't get clicking so much they find a way to start scoring points in the second half in this game against legend here and they avenge a very close loss from last year it was like a three-point game i want to say and it went down to the wire this year they pull it off and speaking of regis here regis with a doubling score of chaparral 56 28 is parked right here at the number six spot at number five here we got thunder ridge 
And Simon says, quote, they pull a tough opponent in Valor as they approach the last games of their season. This will be a test to see how well they fare against a top dog in 5A that has improved every week since their slow start, end quote. And so, yeah, for Thunder Ridge here, going to just have to agree that, you know, this um, this squad here, while they are undefeated, I still think that their biggest question marks remain ahead with both this Valor game and Rock Canyon ahead of them. And, I mean, they took care of business this past week, but they should still be on their toes here. And number four, Columbine remains here, especially after a huge win and potentially eliminating Arvada West from making the postseason following just a year ago where Arvada West actually beat Columbine for the league title and for that first round bye. At the number three spot here, we got Ralston Valley here. And at number two, Valor Christian. Valor Christian taking sole possession of this number two spot, it seems, due to just how well they performed against Rock Canyon. Simon slash Coach V is sold on this team that is now way more balanced and dangerous with Asher Weiner under center. And at number one, per usual here, Brady Vodka here. Well, quote from Coach V, quote, Brady Vodka is looking to be the guy moving forward, and with the QB position now secure, nothing should be stopping them, end quote. And Brady Vodka, this was a player that, you know, we watched in eighth grade. He has incredible poise, arm talent, very smart. Did a breakdown of him, actually, over the offseason on a Twitch stream along with him and the young Moss here at tailback, but Brady here getting his chance, showing some stability. And if he just plays level-headed, I mean, with this Creek team, you really don't have to be more than a game manager. And Brady Vodka is already more than that. So for 5A power rankings, you got one Creek, two Valor, three Ralston Valley, four Columbine, five Thunder Ridge, six Regis Jesuit, seven Pine Creek, eight Fairview, nine Mountain Vista, and number 10 Rock Canyon to round it out. In 4A here, I actually think that this list is going to look the exact same as it looked last week, but we'll go ahead and just go through it. At number one still, going to be the Palmer Ridge Bears. No surprises here. At number two, the Broomfield Eagles. Once again, no surprises here, but plenty of opportunity for movement in the coming weeks for those two teams. Tied at third is Denver South. Denver South, who got that bounce back win over Vista Peak Prep this past week. And also tied for third is Loveland here, because I personally have Loveland at three. I've had him above Denver South since the loss to Golden. And Simon says, quote, Loveland pulls Windsor, who may be looking to upset them by slowing down the pace. But regardless, both should make the playoffs as a top seed, end quote. And that's in regards to Denver South and Loveland here at the three spots. Jumping to number five is Ponderosa, who just got a nice win over Far Northeast. As I mentioned in the Playmakers of the Week segment, um, Kate Olson was a candidate with that 30-tackle performance that he did have, and Ponderosa continues to roll here. And number six, Fruta Monument. Fruta going to have chances to battle here. Broomfield being an example of a team that, you know, they will have a chance to face and maybe skyrocket themselves up the standings or depending on how the performance goes, could slide back. Not sure. At number seven, we got Montrose here. Simon says, quote, they travel to play Mesa Ridge on Thursday, which I will be in attendance for. It'll be a good opportunity to see what this team is made of and potentially an opportunity 
I believe is where he was going to really assess this team, end quote. And so Montrose here, they continue to roll after, you know, a really, really tough start to their schedule here. I think that now that they're in league, we'll see what their pass defense kind of looks like. And, you know, if they truly are one of the heavyweights to be taken really seriously in 4A here. At number eight, you got Vista Ridge here. Simon says, or Coach V says, quote, Dorman Hills and Dooley are all set on making history here, most likely by the end of the regular season. This game against Rampart should be a prime game for them to continue their run, but a showdown with Palmer Ridge is definitely looming, end quote. And this is one of the opportunities I was talking about with top 10 matchups for some of these teams, Vista Ridge and Palmer Ridge. You know, last time these two teams faced wasn't super close, all right? But Vista Ridge, they've got to be feeling themselves. I know that they're on top of the world right now with the passing game. And I think that they were competitive against a Pine Creek team that, you know, is in 5A now. I don't think the score reflects actually how close that game really was. And so they got to be confident from that game to face Palmer Ridge, who I think is very similarly built, uh, just with a better quarterback in mind. So they got to be aware of Hester, obviously, but that will be here in a couple of weeks. At the number nine spot, Mesa Ridge, they get a big win over Rampart. Or was it? Coronado I'm not they blew out whoever they were facing so there's that and at number 10 securing their spot for the second week in a row is Heritage Simon said quote they get a big one over Stanley Lake to secure their spot in the playoffs and potentially as one of the higher seeds end quote and Heritage will have a chance to face Broomfield as well so you know between Heritage Fruit of Monument and Broomfield lots of shakeups are potentially on the horizon for this for a you know league or level i should say that didn't really move all that much actually literally did not move in the most literal way did not change from last week and so in case you missed it last week or in case you weren't paying attention one through ten palmer ridge broomfield tied for third denver south and loveland then jumping to number five we got ponderosa fruit of monument six montrose seven vista ridge eight mesa ridge nine and ten heritage also, three Ridge teams here in the uh, top nine. Now, as for this next classification in 3A, there was quite a shakeup here, uh, at least in that one through five range. And so let's talk about it here. Number one, to this day, to this day, is the Roosevelt Rough Riders. Coach V put, quote, a very convincing win over Northridge should keep them at this spot for the rest of the regular season. This defense plays extremely well with playmakers all around. Combine that with an offense that is also versatile and that makes them the team to beat. Finishing the regular season should be a priority still, but it's time to look toward the playoffs, end quote. I gotta agree here. The rest of their schedule isn't anything to gawk at. You know, I think it's pretty manageable, but I will go ahead and mention here in record watch that tucker peterson is at 44 touchdown receptions on his career the career record for colorado's you know high school all-time receiving touchdown leader is 49 touchdowns so tucker over these next couple of weeks if he gets five touchdowns that would tie the record if he gets six that would break the record if he doesn't do it by the end of the regular season, I'd assume he's in a perfect spot to do so in the postseason. At the number two spot, we got the Green Mountain Rams here, 
who you know defended their number two spot as a lone number two spot against Evergreen last week, and they get a big 36 zil win over Conifer this past week. Speaking of big wins, Lutheran does much of the same here as they move up to the number three spot. Simon says, quote, quote, Riken Doggard throwing for more touchdowns than incompletions is insane. The Northfield game may be interesting along with the Kennedy game, but after that, it should be all business until the playoffs, end quote. Yeah, Lutheran, I think that they have a pretty, honestly, and to be completely real, uncontested path to a league title here. I don't think that there's really anything for them to fret about, and so just remaining healthy will be important here. At number four here is Durango, who only has one loss, and they just beat up on Glenwood Springs. Coach V said, quote, they notch another blowout win against a solid squad. I honestly think they're a team to be feared. A trip to Durango late in the playoffs will be insanely hard for any squad, end quote. That is absolutely true, and I mean, down in the trenches, they have just been absolutely rocking anyone and everyone. They face some out-of-state teams this season, as they do, and in their league, they are just mopping the floor with teams that are fringe playoff teams. Well, Summit, who's definitely a playoff team, and Glenwood Springs, who's a fringe playoff team, probably won't get in following this game, but I mean, Durango, they are just taking care of business here. At number five is our slide here that allowed everyone to move up Northridge with their first loss of the season to a very good Roosevelt team. Coach V put, quote, The Roosevelt game is a slight setback, but I'm not too worried. They have to stay focused with tough matchups against a 5-2 Thompson Valley, 6-1 Res, and a Severance team who may have a losing record but were within a touchdown of beating Resurrection Christian. They will have plenty of opportunities to gain confidence before the playoffs. End quote. I agree, you know, Northridge's job is not done here. This league is very, very tough. And, you know, they can't dwell on this game. Otherwise, they will not finish the season as strong as they should. And, you know, that game against Resurrection Christian, that's a great chance to, you know, try and separate yourself seating-wise. But, you know, at the end of the day, Northridge here, they are a playoff team. They are a very talented team. And, you know, you finish, there's two drives in particular that, you know, ended in interceptions in the red zone. And if you finish those two drives, all of a sudden this 36 to seven score is 36 to 21, or, you know, even less because they did end up scoring on one of those drives. So like 29 to 21, one score game, just like that. So Northridge here, don't think that you were as distant as the score reflected, but also note that the mistakes you made shot yourselves in the foot. Public East, big win over Canyon City. No need to explain why they're number six here. Number seven, Resurrection Christian. Coach V said, quote, a slight scare against Severance shouldn't put too much doubt in Res. That's a team that knows them well and has talent on their squad. They'll have to stay locked in with matchups against Mountain View, Northridge, and Thompson Valley, end quote. Resurrection Christian here. This is a team that could end up in the top five if they play their cards right here. That Northridge showdown is going to be a massive one, but they have impressed in their first season in 3A. And like Coach V said, I'm not worried about the Severance game. These two teams play each other very tight, very well, and so I'm not at all surprised by that. In our overall rankings, we got Evergreen at eight here, despite their throttling of Littleton High School and getting their backups in and staying healthy. It's just one of those things where uh, in big-time games, they haven't shown that 
you know, the, the last inch, right? So we're still waiting on that prove it here. At number nine, George Washington, big win over Niwot, no surprise here. And number 10, Frederick. So all the teams stay the same. The order is just a little bit different here. We'll start at 10 with Frederick here, who is number 10, number nine, George Washington, number eight, Evergreen, number seven, Resurrection, Christian Cougars, number six, Pueblo East, number five, Northridge, number four, Durango, number three, Lutheran, number two, Green Mountain, and number one, the Roosevelt Rough Riders. And then there is a little bit of a shakeup here in the 2A power rankings. Nothing at the top here. You still got TCA, Eaton, Delta, Florence, Academy, Basalt here at one through six. You know, Coach V has a little bit to say about each of these squads. For TCA, Coach V says, quote, a 200-yard Ethan Aragundi performance keeps them undefeated. Their last regular season game against Elizabeth is looking to be the one to look out for and quote i agree wholeheartedly that's what league's going to come down to coach v was saying it last week but tca should probably finish this season undefeated and number two we have eaton here coach v said quote walker martin is playing great football right now as they blow out berthed but shout out to this eaton secondary specifically os martinez who got his second straight multi-interception game the academy game will be a big one and quote i agree the academy here who I'm going to kind of jump around here, is our number five team. They just beat the snot out of Fort Lupton. And, you know, between them and Eaton, will decide who wins league. The Academy has tested themselves pretty well by facing the number three team in all of 2A. Eaton has tested themselves by scheduling that week one matchup against TCA. So out of league, both these teams have been very competitive. And now in league, they will battle for that league crown. Now, as mentioned, Delta here at number three, no surprises. Number four here, something that we do have a blurb about from Coach V is, quote, they get a huge win over Woodland Park to secure them not only a playoff spot, but a high seed in the playoffs. Levi Paxton had a pretty good passing game here against a good defense, which is a great sign of him heating up as the playoffs come closer, end quote. I agree. Look, I know that Florence was favored to win against Woodland Park, but I had no idea that they were going to 39-zill that team. That is a statement win, if I've ever seen one, putting the rest of the league on notice and probably putting the rest of the state on notice that they can take care of business here. But how will they face against these you know, teams that are also in Southern Colorado like TCA here? But I'm looking mainly at these northern teams that are very different from this Florence squad. And looking back at their one loss here against Lyman has me a little concerned on how they'll hold up against the one through five teams here. And maybe even the number six team here, the Basalt Longhorns, continue to retain their spot here after beating league rifle Moffat County and securing a league victory and a top eight seed, I believe, in the postseason. At number seven, we have Elizabeth, who scoots up just above Moffat County following Moffat County's loss. Moffat County here at number eight. Coach V says, quote, I'm not going to drop them too much here. That game was a winnable one, and they should still be able to make a run, end quote. They just need guys other than Evan Atkin to be making plays, and that was the problem last year, and we'll see if it's the problem again this year. At number nine, we do have Woodland Park, who did, you know, uh, get kind of clobbered here and Simon said quote a devastating loss shouldn't push them out of the top 10 but they got to perform better against a top tier offense if they want to make a run in the playoffs end quote I agree wholeheartedly look Woodland Park they were riding a nice little wave into our top 10 
but that loss has me very concerned on their, you know, if they're legit, are they too legit or are they, you know, are they performers or pretenders is where I'm at with Woodland Park heading into the postseason. And I think the same could be said about this number 10 team, the Devlin squad. They have been putting on a roll here with a few close, Simon says, quote, a number of close wins plus this blowout puts Devlin right here. At this point, they should be guaranteed a spot in the playoffs following this last big win, end quote. I agree. Look, Devlin, Austin Bushlack has been going bonkers in these last few games. And, you know, they've pulled out close ones against the likes of Bennett, against the likes of Faith Christian. And I think that, you know, this squad here, well, through the air, is very, very talented. And then their defense does have to buckle down a little bit. They've been allowing a ton of points per game, and that is not going to get you far. So, recapping the 2A power rankings from Playmakers Corner, number 10, Devlin, number 9, Woodland Park, number 8, the Moffat County Bulldogs, number 7, the Elizabeth Cardinals, number 6, the Basalt Longhorns, number 5, the Academy Wildcats, at the 4 spot here, the Florence Huskies, number 3 here, Delta, number 2, Eaton, and number 1, TCA. And not too much to say here on this last bit of 1A here. We got number one, the Lyman Badgers, who got a big win against Holyoke to retain their spot. Number two, Ray, who I think, you know, cements their spot here, not only with the close loss to Lyman where we didn't drop them, but after a close win over Yuma. Those are two teams that could potentially face again in the postseason. But Ray pulls one out against a top five squad here to keep that number two spot. Strasburg continues to roll, so they're at three. Number four, in sole possession of the number four spot, Monte Vista Pirates, who beat a 4-1 Ignacio squad more than convincingly and continue their undefeated season. At number five, we have Yuma here. They have their first loss of the season to a very good Ray team. This offense just kind of stalled out a little bit, but honestly, the defense made some plays here, specifically David Thornton Hernandez's you know, fumble recovery for a touchdown here, and they only lose by six points. Very winnable game. Has me feeling very confident for them heading into the rest of the season, and I'm eager to see how they face off against Lyman. At number six, we have a tie between Buena Vista and Wiggins here. Both teams getting convincing wins this past week, mainly through very potent ground attacks. Wiggins win meaning a little bit more to me since it is over a solid Burlington squad. At number eight, we have Centauri, who beat the snot out of Trinidad. No surprises there. Number nine, Gunnison, and number 10, Meeker. That's going to remain the same. Gunnison cementing their spot ahead of Meeker here at the number nine slot. And Meeker here trying to hold on to their spot here in the top 10, which you know could be a point of contention for a team like Rye here, who will get a chance to basically win their league in the coming weeks. So quick refresher, one through 10. That goes Lyman, Badgers, Ray Eagles, Strasburg, number four, Monte Vista Pirates, number five, the Yuma football team. Tied for six, we have the Buena Vista Demons and the Wiggins Tigers. And number eight, we got the Centauri Falcons, number nine, the Gunnison Cowboys, and number 10, the Meeker Cowboys. And that'll do it for this episode of Playmakers Corner Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening to our recaps 
of boys tackle football to our recaps of girls flag football that inaugural state tournament please do more research into flag football it is a growing sport it is exploding onto the scene don't be left behind the eight ball here go ahead and catch up and get that address thank you so much for listening to our playmakers of the week brought to you by code red coaching make sure to check them out at coderedcoaching.com or on social media and while you're looking for them on social media don't forget to follow us on social media where we are at playmakers corner on instagram facebook tiktok we're at playmaker corner or if you look up playmakers corner on twitter you can find us there where we post updates for all of our newest episodes try and promote any athletes that do tag us and stuff and things like that so that scouts can get an eye on them and we also will be posting content especially because we have end of the year awards that are on the horizon definitely make sure to tune into twitter where you the audience are actually a contributing vote to that poll and we also post announcements for all of our episodes as well as our power rankings on those so go ahead and stay tuned for all of that and you know anywhere you listen to podcasts go ahead and find us whether that's spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, anchor and subscribe or have your notifications turned on for any time we release a new episode especially because you know we're halfway through October here, and we have our typical top five senior series that is on the horizon, as well as our weekly recaps. So just stay tuned for all of that fun content coming up and plenty more from your friends here and football media at Playmakers Corner. Thank you so much to Gideon and Simon for those segments here. And I have been your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer, signing off.